Hello everybody and welcome to Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast as we are moving on nice and swimmingly through the episode of the movie recaps more likely. We are now into episode 8 of Double Oz 7 as we get now into the 6th James Bond film and can we just take a brief moment of your time to calm yourselves and get yourselves in the mood because it's Lazenby time on Her (laughs) Majesty's Secret Service one of the greatest James Bond films if not the greatest James Bond film ever created my name is Ben and I'm here to show you that I have a lot of guts and I'm Colin Hilding but you can call me Hilly (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Noel Groves, and this never happened to the other podcast. <laughs> and there we have all the one-liners out of the way, so we will not be uh, <laughs> discussing them anymore throughout the episode. Um, we, we talked this up at the end of You Only Live Twice, how excited we were for this. Not just because it's a great film, not just because it's long and there's lots to talk about, because it's freaking Lazenby. Um, the only opportunity that we really will have to chat about him for at least three hours. And um, and Noah and I particularly, a real Australian connection. The Australian Bond. There's another Australian in this movie as well. Yes. There is. This is the... Ast- and it's not even Dicko Henderson. Yes. <laughs> Stupid kangaroo bum. This is, this is the Australian episode. Uh, Colin, you've had your time in the sun for Canada, but Noah and I are like, yes, Australia! Um, but as always, we, we sort of just briefly touch on our thoughts of this film, I guess, from this rewatch, and we briefly touched on it, as I said, in You Only Live Twice. Um, I, I just think that this movie just keeps getting better and better every time you watch it. Um, I mentioned in the last episode, it's probably the most, um, sort of the old school film that I've seen the most, and, um, it's just so good. I mean, we complained about Thunderball, uh, being a long film and just dragging out in so many scenes. I don't think I found once in this film, um, thinking it went too long. I mean, this is, well, now the second longest James Bond film for a very long time was the longest James Bond film. Um, but I, I didn't want it to end. I would have been happy with another half an hour of Lazenby. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it on, on this time around. Not that I didn't before, but yes, bring on the Lazenby. Yeah, this uh, I mentioned it in our end of You Only Live Twice that um, this was a movie that I put off seeing for a while because not even realizing, you know, pre-internet that this guy wasn't Sean Connery. I assumed this wasn't a canon James Bond movie. And then when I did find out about the movie, I heard so many bad things about it at the time that I wasn't expecting anything. And by the time the movie was over, I was instantly like, this is the greatest James Bond movie I've ever seen. And it's been more than 15 years since I saw this for the first time. And I still think this is the greatest James Bond movie I've ever seen. I love everything about this. Like you said, nothing drags. Lazenby, you know, he has some hits, he has some misses. Uh, but the entire cast, I mean, I can't think of any other Bond movie where the main cast is this good. And I can't wait to talk about all the other characters, too. Yeah, I also mentioned that you either love or hate this film. There's no middle ground with this film for Bond fans, and I'm definitely on the love factor. Um, <clears throat> this will be unpopular, and feel free to tune out now if you don't want to hear a love fest, but I will be defending Lazenby to the grave, not just because he's Australian. Australia. I think he's extremely... <laughs> Australia. Um, Australia? Australia. 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 Um, <laughs> 
yeah, not just because he's Australian. I think he is criminally underrated. Um, not as criminal as Draco, of course. Um, <laughs> but he is just really good. In saying all that, though, even though I love this film and it's coming off Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, so we've returned to the greats like the original trilogy, that's not going to say that it's going to go unscathed because I will still point out some factors of this film that I'm not overly keen on or I think could have been done better or isn't great. But there is also going to be a lot of love, so I can't wait to talk about this one. Just seriously warning everybody listening to this, if you don't like George Lazenby, then this maybe isn't the <laughs> podcast for you, because, um, look, I agree with Noah that, I mean, yes, we're going to be a little bit biased because he's from Australia, but um, I I found, particularly this rewatch as well, that he's really not as bad as people point him out to be. But yeah, there are moments where he is as bad as people point him out to be, but... I I really felt with him that he there was a lot to his overall persona. Like you felt he was really tough. Like you know you wouldn't want to mess yeah. with him. You, you wouldn't necessarily get that with Connery all the time. Like he I think he was he was quick witted, even though some of them might have been dubbed over later. Um, and he was very charismatic. He's very attractive. I mean, he was a model. Uh, still is a model, I guess you could still say. Um, and, I mean, really, I think the only thing that lets him down for the most part in this film is his acting ability in a lot of it. And I, But even then, he, first time acting yeah, ever. his very first film. commercial. Exactly, exactly. So, I guess before we sort of get into the swing of things, if we want to sort of just go over, you know, a bit on, on Lazenby, Lazenby, uh, I mean... Colin, you know, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but does your rewatches of of this with Lazenby make you think better of him each time, or do you just feel a bit the same every time you see it? You know, when I first watched it, I was so blown away by the movie itself that I didn't pay that much attention to him. And because I was watching the Bond movies for the first time all out of sequence, I wasn't as tied to Connery. I would say that, you know, the, the more I reflected on the movie originally, I did see a lot of the weaknesses because... I think the problems with Lazenby comes down to when they were trying to make him Sean Connery, when they were giving him lines that only Connery could say, when they were giving him the type of swagger that only Connery could have. And I don't think that Lazenby pulls that off. But what I've come to realize over the years is that there's so much stuff in this movie that I struggle to think if Sean Connery could have pulled, could have pulled it off. And I'm not saying that George Lazenby's a better actor than Sean Connery overall, obviously <laughs> not, but... Connery hadn't really gone to the lengths that the character had to go to here. It would have been very interesting to see what Connery could have done, but for a guy who had no acting experience at all, some of these dramatic scenes, especially the ones with Tracy, I was watching it just this past time and thinking, I don't know if Sean Connery would have been as believable, and I think that Lazenby has a real good natural quality when he is being a little bit more of a sentimental character, and we never saw that with Connery, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for those things, and I've definitely come to appreciate him more over the years, especially for those things that uh, we didn't get to see from the character before. Um, it's interesting you say that, Colin, because I thought I was going to get booed to hell here. Um, I have heard by pretty much every Bond fan that On Her Majesty's Secret Service would be a better film if Sean Connery was the Bond in it. And, of course, I have to disagree with everything, but I wholeheartedly disagree with that. <clears throat> I don't think Connery could have pulled this film off, and I also don't think Moore could have pulled this film off. Um, in some ways, it's kind of the black sheep of the entire franchise. It's also one of the most important films, 
and it does fit well into the uh, chronology or the um, canon, but it's just there's, there's something distinctly different about this, and it needed a more human bond. Um, I don't think you could ever buy Sean Connery being in love with um, any character. Like, hello, Pusher. Like, he's never going to be in love. He's a womanizer. Um, so I think you needed someone, and it was a huge gamble to bring in someone who's never acted before um, to play the lead role of one of the biggest movie franchises at the time and still at the time, uh, well, still today. And he didn't fully pull it off, but he did very well and I just this is going to sound really nerdy but it still upsets me that we're never ever going to have a follow up Lazenby film where he um, returns to get the revenge on Tracy that still upsets me because I love Diamonds Are Forever but if Lazenby had a few more tries I really do think he could have become one of the most renowned Bonds probably up there with maybe not Connery and more, but still up there above Brosnan perhaps. Um, so that saddens me. But it really is a double-edged sword um, when you're critiquing these films, taking notes, because you notice the subtleties that are good, but you also notice some of the crap stuff there. And I would just say that I am reminded of Lazenby every single day because, as Ben, you know, you also went to the University of Tasmania. <laughs> there was a cafe there yeah. right in the centre of it called Lazenby's. So every day I think of George Lazenby. So. Named after George, I, I don't doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I agree pretty much with everything that you said, no, except for the bit about uh, being ahead of Brosnan, but we won't touch that. But, um, I mean, we should just quickly mention, I guess, with, with Lazenby because... He he was originally planned to be signed on for seven films. I mean, this was never kind of a thing that they planned of doing for one film. But, of course, famously, his manager said, no, you know, James Bond's about to die. Like, you know, this is not going to last into the 70s. You know, don't do this. Worst agent ever. Yes, this is why well, we, we want him on the show, just to be like, what the hell was your agent smoking? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a recent interview with Lazenby where he was talking about that it wasn't necessarily his manager but it was kind of this hippie guru that he got hooked up with that sort of <laughs> took on the role of i'm gonna be your advisor so it wasn't necessarily somebody was that was always with him but it was somebody who came on and said you need to listen to me and he looks back now and he's like i was an idiot i was sort of like you know on this power trip and uh thought that i was better than everybody else it was you know a little bit too strung out on drugs at the time and he took this guy's advice this hippie guru and it pretty much ended his career because they still wanted him. Despite the fact there wasn't as much success with this movie, they still would have been willing to have him back. And when he said, well, I don't want to do the next one, it was kind of an easy escape. They're like, hey, we still have Connery as a backup. It's amazing. It's so amazing to um, think that somebody would refuse that because I think, Noah, as you mentioned, just the height of its power is really James Bond at this period. Um, I mean, of course, they, they we should also mention they did try to get Roger Moore for this film, and we obviously know mm -hmm. Roger Moore would go on to become James Bond. The, and Dalton was in the running. Uh, Dalton? I, oh, I didn't realise. How old was Dalton? Very was, young was, Dalton. Was Dalton like 15? He was 28 or 29, and they deemed he was too young at the time. Wow. Okay. How old was Lazenby? Um, I think he was 29, wasn't he? Yeah. We'll, we'll check on that. Um, but yeah, Roger Moore was off uh, filming The Saint. So it seems to be a thing with James Bonds that um, they they want them. I mean, obviously, Pierce Brosnan famously had Remington Steele, and then he eventually got the role. And obviously, as you just if said... they want you, they'll get you. Yeah, so... 
clearly, um, you know, Hugh Jackman in with the chance of James Bond after Craig, do we think? <laughs> I just love, go, I love... Uh, I was just going to say, Timothy... George Lazenby was 29. Timothy Dalton was only 22 when they were making this movie. Yeah. 23, yeah. so way too young. Isn't it weird well, to just... say that? They're too young at 22, but for Bond, you need to have a bit of age there, I think. The... It still blows my mind that Lazenby was even picked in the first place, and I've mentioned this in the past, is sometimes I think those producers were um, on crack during the 60s because some of the casting choices, like, let's cast people who don't speak English. It's all right, we've got Nikki there, she can fix it. <laughs> um, let's let's cast uh, Kissy Suzuki. Yeah, wait, she doesn't know understand what we're saying. Um uh, let's let's cast someone who's never acted before in the lead role of one of the cinema history. It's um, some of their choices during these early days is really um, bizarre, but a lot of them paid off, though. Very much so, and uh, it's just yeah, how the the James Bond series would have been different had uh, Lazenby kept on going. You know, um, I guess maybe we can sort of, as we move on with the the franchise, we can say, "Hey, how would Lazen be done in Moonraker?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> this never happened on the other ship. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it really would have been interesting again. These just these moments. But um, we we get introduced to Lazenby uh, fairly. I like the way they do it. I mean, we obviously start the film yeah. with the gun barrel sequence. I should just quickly mention we get we go back to having title credits over the the gun barrels just before we move into a Lazenby down on his knee not quite Colin is uh, <laughs> falling over as Sean Connery did but... Connery's wobble is gone <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we're, we're straight into M&Q at Universal Exports um, Q talking about miniaturization, the radioactive lint which um, I'm still very uh, devastated that we didn't really get to see um, and then uh, my first thought I've written here money penny old like, yes. like there was only a two-year gap between this and you only lived twice, but she looked like she'd aged about ten years, Lois. She, she did look older, but at the same time, I think this is probably the last movie where she looked um, where she looked presentable enough, <laughs> I'll just say it politely, <laughs> in order to be the object of James Bond's affections. Because after this, I mean, it, it really was pushing the envelope to have her as, like, a Bond girl, but... I mean, she still brought all the charm, so I don't think it really matters how old she looked. I do love, though, um, because in this film, Lazenby, he's Bond, but he's the new guy. So we open the film with these are the people we've come to know, like the old gang there, here and there, starting the film off. You got MQ and Money Penny, and we know who they are. So I love how they did that. Like, all right, it's still the same. Not everything's changing. We've still got the old gang together. Don't worry too much. So I like how they did that opening with MIC. And I guess it would have been an interesting time for film goers who love the franchise up to this point, going along knowing that they're about to see a new uh, actor playing James Bond. So the setup is, you know, well, like, where's Bond? Find 007. And we get uh, cut away to James. Well, you know, we obviously know it's James. We don't get to see him quite yet driving along. And I, I got a bit excited. I thought Tanya was still alive because all of a sudden we get beep, 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 beep. Like, move <laughs> Tilly. Tilly. Tilly, that one too. Um, Tanya's the actress. That's the one. Um, <laughs> hey, I thought she played her character very realistically. Um, and then James uh, coming along, sees a car, gets to the beach. He's having a bit of a spy. 
Um, my my biggest gripe with this whole scene is like he sees um, he sees the woman at the time. We don't know who it is. Cops is Tracy. Um, going to the water, and then he gets, like, so worried. Like, why Why doesn't she just think that she's swimming, like, in a clothes? That was the same thing I thought. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. I'm like, how does he know she's not going for a swim right now? Like, he just assumes she's walking to the water. Must be suicide. Yes. Like, and this all starts basically on a hunch from James Bond that she's about to kill herself, and he's running like the world's about to end, and then only to grab her. And why isn't she thinking, like, he's about to rape her or something like that? This strange guy, he's, like, grabbing her in the water... And then she gets on the sand and we get in the water and then we get, of course, our first introduction to Lazenby in the most famous way possible. My name is Bond, James Bond. And we have the uh, introduction to Bond numero two. I also want to point out that uh, when he's driving, Peter Hunt uses some really clever ways of disguising his face and everything. And this movie's full of moments where they're trying to remind the audience that this is still the same James Bond that we saw with Sean Connery. But the way they hid his identity was cool. But then they, they have the hat in there. He's wearing the hat that you see. So Lazenby stole the hat and the part. And now we solve that mystery. That was That's where the hat was. Damn it, Lazenby. <laughs> he took it all the years back. as a That was the setup for him taking the part from Sean Connery. So brilliant heist on his part. Um, this opening scene, it is kind of funny because in the book, it was um, a little bit more clear that she was trying to commit suicide. And in this, I think it was a touchy subject. How do you show that? So nowadays, it probably doesn't come across uh, as clear, but I would guess back in 1969, it does. And giving him that line again, it's just the first 20 minutes, half hour of this movie, it's just they're constantly reminding you this is still James Bond. Don't think this is something different. Yeah, this this scene here is pretty much the opening of Doctor No. Um, you've got Bond's kind of figure hidden, and you don't quite know who it is. Like, so instead of playing cards, he's driving in the car, and you've got the awesome theme music. Um, and then you've got the introduction: "My name's Bond, James Bond." And I actually think George Lazenby pulls it off quite well. Like, um, having to match Connery, and no one else had done it at that point. I think he delivers the line pretty good. And uh, you mentioned Peter Frank's, um, uh, is that his name Hunt. yet? Hunt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting names <laughs> wrong. Frank's is I'm, the next. Yeah, I'm thinking of Diamonds Are Forever. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to Diamonds Are Forever. I'm excited for that one too. Uh, Peter Hunt, yeah, you mentioned him. I think great choice for directing this film because he's been with it since the beginning and he knows exactly what to a Bond film and I just noticed in the first 20 minutes of this film, we've got a Bond, James Bond, a martini, a kiss, a kill, like everything in this film straight off the bat. But I, I won't jump too ahead um, of this fight, but it's a great introduction to Lazenby, though. Well, it's good to mention there of, um, of Hunt because not only is Lazenby a first-time actor, uh, Peter Hunt is a first-time director as well. But, of course, um, as you said, had been on every other Bond film before this, but he got handed the reins of the director's chair for this one. Um, I love this fight sequence that we have. I mean, it's just so quick, sharp, and, I mean, we see this so much in this film, just the shots and the, the action, it's just so quick. And 
I think this. I think it works. I don't know how you guys think about it, but I, I know it just makes it more raw. And this is maybe when I was saying back to when I thought Lazenby is believable as someone who's tough, and you really wouldn't want to mess with him. It's just the way that you got these quick fires and he's punching, and he's just getting there, and you know, really getting into it. And um, you know, once we get through the the lovely little uh, fight sequence, I, I I thought Tracy was about to steal Bond's car. Well, she does, <laughs> only to get to her car. Uh, <laughs> so. At least she's nice enough there to just steal it for a few minutes and then quickly get back. And then, of course, we get the famous line before the opening sequence, this never happened to the other fellow. And <laughs> sort of, again, as Colin was mentioning, like, reminding, you know, this is James Bond, but they've almost got a bit of inside humour there that they're able to sort of say to the audience, well, look, we do know it's a different James Bond, so let's put a bit of an in-joke in there. Yeah, first of all, the fight. Uh, this is something that I think both both Lazenby and Peter Hunt really brought onto this movie. And Peter Hunt obviously was the editor on the first five movies of the franchise, and he kind of struck a deal uh, on You Only Live Twice uh, to stay on with them because he was that valuable for uh, what he had brought to the previous movies. He has this fast-cutting style, but he also shoots it in a way where there's a lot of like handheld shots, and it's just a different way to make it look more intense than the Red Grant fight on the train from, from Russia with love. And uh, Lazenby, I never really thought about it before I watched this previous time, uh, just before we recorded this. And it's funny that you guys brought it up, but there is a physicality to him that we didn't get from Connery. At least I don't think we got from Connery since from Russia with love. And I'm going to say it comes down to hiring an unknown and suddenly you have a guy who maybe doesn't have as much power as Connery and couldn't necessarily say, I don't want to do that. So they could throw him into these fight scenes and say, prove yourself out there. And when Lazenby walks into a room, I don't buy him as being as dangerous as Sean Connery. But when he throws a punch, like it's really him doing that. And he really does sell these scenes. I'm also glad you brought up the thing about Tracy stealing his car because it really struck me as kind of odd that she's willing to drown herself in the ocean to end her life, but she didn't want to walk 50 feet up a hill. <laughs> so she has to steal a car to do it. Lazy Tracy. <laughs> um, yeah, this may be an unpopular opinion, but maybe bar the Red Grant fight. I think this just random fight on the beach is, up until this point, probably the greatest fight in in the history of all six films. Um, and I only really noticed that when we're taking special note of it and watching them in order. But I think it's a great fight. And he looks like a brute. Like mm. That's something I don't really like about Daniel Craig, that he's a brute. But Lazenby looks the part of Bond while also being a brute. Um, I don't even know if that made sense, but um, it's a great fight, and I love how the, the use of the oar and the boat, um, it is a bit of like uh, henchmen just constantly chasing Bond wherever he goes from You Only Live Twice, but that doesn't happen throughout the whole film, but I think it's great. And again, another unpopular opinion, but I love This Never Happened to the Other Fellow. I think it's funny. I love self-referential humour, like... Um, there's a, a scene that comes later with a guy who's whistling that we yes. will touch on. Um, and, you know, Octopussy, you've got the snake charmer playing the Bond theme. And I love self-referential stuff. Um, and it, I know it's not a very popular line, but I think it's great. And I can't remember who I heard this from, who said it, so I apologise for not crediting whoever said this, someone online. But, like, 
the, as much as I love the line, it's like stuff like this is exactly what happened to the other fellow. So <laughs> like, how did this not happen to the other fellow? This was happening to him like throughout the entirety of the last film. Um, but uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead of the pre uh, the title sequence, but it, it's bizarre that they put this line in, but then put so much effort. It's the same bond. This is not a different person. Mm. So it's bizarre that even though it's, it's a fun line that they did put it in because then they go to the lengths of showing us um, the knife and a very special song that we will touch on. Ah. Um, but, yeah, to sum it up, I think this could be the best pre-title sequence up until this point. I really enjoy it. I have two questions about this. Um do we ever find out why Tracy wanted to kill herself? And are the henchmen Dracos or Dracos men who are, like, trying to protect Tracy? I mean, do we actually find out what the purpose of these henchmen are at this point? Yeah, I don't think we find out, but I think that's the assumption, is that they work for him. Um, because he kind of alludes in, in the upcoming scene where he meets with Bond, all of Tracy's problems. And again, one of these things, like, Ian Fleming doesn't get enough credit for how well-developed some of his female characters are. Unfortunately, because the movies could only show so much back in the 60s, it was very PG, a lot of the subject matter written behind these complex female characters was kind of aborted. And there was a lot more detail in the book uh, about how messed up Tracy was and everything. So again, it made a little bit more sense for her wanting to kill herself. But a lot of it's kind of just briefly mentioned in the upcoming scene. Okay. Um, one thing I just want to mention too, we talked a bit about Lazy B, got to bring up Diana Rigg. Um, might be an unpopular opinion here. I don't know. Maybe Colin might agree with me. I'm not sure. We talked about the attractiveness level of some people already in the Bond franchise. Diana Rigg, up until this point, the most beautiful, gorgeous, attractive Bond uh, girl out of all of them. And I just want to point out the chemistry between her and Lazenby is just second to none. I, I I would argue it's maybe the the best chemistry between any Bond and any um, Bond girl in all of the films. So I'm just putting that out there right now before we get into the title sequence. And, and that has to come down to the fact that for one of the first times ever, we have a Bond girl acting the full part. I mean, she's... <laughs> She's doing the the voice and the movement, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, so... Nikki Vanderzil here. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, I mean, it, it's funny because she was a huge star, and because they cast an unknown, they tried to fill the other parts with big stars. And she was a huge star on the Avengers. I mean, she took over for Honor Blackman, who played Pussy Galore, and made the show even bigger uh, in the '60s. So she was massive. I mean, having her attached to this movie was arguably. Uh, I hate that I'm going to be bringing this up, but. Close to when you had Halle Berry and die another day. Oh, there that it is. Yes, he's done it three, three in a row. <laughs> but in no way is Halle Berry at Diana Riggs level. I mean, I would agree with just... that. <laughs> Dame like... Halle Berry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she brings so much to this movie, and uh, it's it's so hard to decide for my favorite Bond girl. But I mean, she's right up there. I think uh, at least in my top three. I think. Um... I don't think she's the hottest so far, but she's definitely up there. And overall, she's probably a top five, top ten Bond girl, definitely. Um, but I do think out of all the films so far, I think she could be the greatest actor out of every single character in the Bond franchise in uh, in six films. I think she's brilliant. Maybe better actor than Sean Connery. Like, Sean's great, but there's sometimes when it's like, eh... Uh, she never has a dull moment and the chemistry, as you said, Ben, is just brilliant and 
apparently they didn't really like each other too much during the filming. I'm not sure how true that really I've is. I've heard differing yeah, viewpoints on that. I, yeah. I can actually confirm because I did some research and for years she denied those rumors, but in a very recent interview, since she's on the TV show Game of Thrones now, she's kind of back yeah. out there and she confirmed in a very recent interview that she could not stand him. She pretty much verified everything that was said about her not liking Aww. him. Yeah, and I heard a recent Lazenby one where he didn't say exactly that, but he did say that they had some troubles, but uh, very professional then because it does not show it at all. Show at all. Yeah. It's free and totally by that they're in love and that they would be together, so... I think she's brilliant, and one day we'll rank the girls, but she will be up there when we do. She'd be in my top five, I would say. Yeah, she is great. Yep. Um, and just quickly, before we go into the title sequence, I just want to play this. Because Colin brought up Die Another Day, so we had to play the uh, the intro. Never mind. All right. Oh. <laughs> hey, we had to go from one good song into one of the best songs ever in the history of James <laughs> Bond. Um, just this opening title sequence. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have a, a song with lyrics. We just have the dun, 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 dun. I'm not going to keep going because we know how it goes. Um, <laughs> it's making me shiver just it, you doing it. Is, it look, we, we talked about this in the Spector trailer that we heard, um, you know, a, a newer version of it. But this, yeah, you, you say it gives you goosebumps. It, this is the theme that gives, I feel, any Bond fan... Goosebumps, mm-hmm. it's just such an amazing piece. And of we music. heard it live. Yeah, we did. Sadly, Mary didn't come out and, like, sing over the top of it. <laughs> Lays and bees. <laughs> <laughs> they did play it twice, I think. They well, that was the one that we liked playing twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Live and let die again. No! Um, but, yeah, no, like, this is just such an amazing piece of music. Um, and I, I think this entire soundtrack is one of the best as well. Like, I... You know, I think we have all the time in the world. While not, you know, the most up-tempo, fantastic Die Another Day style song, it's still very hauntingly beautiful and just fits perfectly with this movie. But um, before I throw to Colin, just quickly on the opening sequence, you know, we have lots of women with forks. Um, we have hourglasses. We have nipples again. Lots of nipples. Nipples and clocks, actually. Um, we seem to have a lot. Um, <laughs> nipples and what? Nipples and clocks. Clocks. There's an L oh, in there. Um, yeah. And clocks. I think also, because I know... <laughs> <laughs> Never wrong. Um, but I think that, Colin, you must be happy not only with the theme, but the fact that we get random samurai guy in the opening title yeah. credits. <laughs> we have crazy samurai guy charging the invisible camera. This is the only other appearance outside of You Only Live Twice where the invisible camera is present. Uh, I love the opening uh, theme. It was an interesting idea because people look back on it now and they think, it's so weird that a Bond movie's not using a real song. And they had tried to come up with a song. I don't know if it was to this music or not, but they just couldn't figure out a way to work the line on Her Majesty's Secret Service into a song. <laughs> on Her <laughs> Majesty's Winded. Secret Service. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, that's, haven't we said that you always default to gold? But this was such a good piece of music and it's used throughout the entire movie and this is the one thing John Barry wrote that really stands up with the James Bond theme. And uh, it's it's a shame it hasn't been used uh, really since Honor Majesty's Secret Service because this could have become one of the other James Bond themes. And I love how they use the, the flashback clips in here. Um, 
the whole idea of that again was I'll, we'll have a couple more times to talk about this throughout, but I, I mentioned it earlier that they're just constantly reminding the audience that this is the same James Bond. And it's not like this is the first time somebody had been recast in a role. But we mentioned, I can't remember if it was in the Doctor No episode, but one of our first episodes, that this was the first time where somebody really set out to tell a story arc over multiple movies. It wasn't just individual adventures. And I think that's why they felt the need to do this, because they had this storyline that was incomplete uh, with Spectre that had been building now for this is the sixth movie. And they had to find a way to tie it in there and convince the audience we're not just starting over from scratch. So even just historically, it's interesting to look on this and think that those flashbacks were there because audiences had never encountered something like this where they were being told stories over multiple movies. And they certainly hadn't encountered something of Bond's level of popularity having to recast an actor that iconic. I think the song is just brilliant. And I love how they use the theme songs throughout the movies. Like they did it in You Only Live Twice, a lot in Goldfinger from Rush With Love. Uh, not so much in Thunderball, but this is probably the best use of it, like that ski chase with this theme. It's just, it, it makes me wet myself or crap our pants, as we said before. <laughs> it's just amazing. And I so can't wait for it to come back in Spectre, 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 the film. Um, that's what it should be called, Spectre the movie. Um, <laughs> Um, Spectre, Spectre, the movie. Yeah. Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. Spectre. Um, But, yeah, it's going to be great if they actually do use it in that and not just the trailer. Um, For the actual visuals, it does look a bit goofy uh, in the the glass, the hourglass. Sometimes the shots look a bit weird. And all I was thinking is, geez, they really can't get over the death of Dr. No, can they? (laughs) (laughs) Won't let us forget about that. Or number four. (laughs) Yeah, the art department has turned into the art department. They're making hourglass movies about their fallen comrade. (laughs) um, It's fun, but it also is a bit hokey uh, having like the visuals from the past, but it's better than Goldfinger where they played the visuals of what's to come in the movie. Like. So it was kind of cool, I guess. But the theme is amazing. I love the use of the blue colours in there and the shadows. Uh, Only good things to say about this, really. I really hope that Inspector, that they um, have Dr. No in there somewhere. Well, there's a mention to him, like, (laughs) we are still avenging the death of our beloved number four. Mr. No. Oh, sorry, Dr. No. <laughs> Mr. No. Jeez, he's lost his diploma. Yes. Just lapsed after all these years. <laughs> um, so we now uh, go to Bond going to a hotel. Um, he meets Manuel from Felty Towers. Um <laughs> <laughs> I caught that too. <laughs> I just ran down to Manuel, a guy in a hotel. I didn't think about that. Right. <laughs> Manuel, there is too much butter on those trays. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so he's straight into playing cards. Is, is it Baccarat again? Do we know? Uh, we just say it's always Baccarat. <laughs> None of us know cards. I don't know. I just see that sweet venable. Like, just to me, just it's Baccarat. Um, we get the old lady at the table. There's always an old lady playing cards. Yeah, she, Mildred, <laughs> Mildred. Always playing cards. Bert was getting changed. Uh, <laughs> Every time there's a card scene, is that like a thing that old ladies did in the 60s? Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we get uh, Tracy uh, rocking up. And um, she plays and what loses, so then Bond has to help 
pay her off. And then was this not the perfect time to bring in a Sylvia Trench cameo? Yeah. <laughs> to really remind us that this is the same Bond. What about me? Bond? You haven't called in years. It's <laughs> <laughs> got old track marks up her arm and. <laughs> Dick's asking for you too. Uh, <laughs> Every time somebody disappears from the Bond series, we basically throw them under the bus and have them become an alcoholic or a drug addict. Like that's, <laughs> that's basically where all the actors go. Well, it'd be great for the title sequence. So instead of showing those old images, it's just uh, clips from all the past Bond girls saying, "Bond, you haven't called." Just all of them yeah, from the, the past. Consequences of his womanizing. <laughs> well, we need to have after Spectre. That, you know, they need to start bringing back since they're going back over the old films and bringing in these elements. Like they need to bring in all these extra ones, and Ooh, we're gonna have to have a film where it's like Dink's revenge on Bond. <laughs> she joins up with Doctor No. Yes, Honey's like uh, hawking seashells for money at a pawn shop. <laughs> Underneath the mango tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! But um, yeah, the whole card table playing situation going now into a a hotel room with another fight, and we really get this chemistry. I feel between Bond and and Tracy at this point. Yeah, you know, Noah kind of commented before we went on that we can kind of skip this whole sequence, but there's something very interesting going on here that's kind of understated. And uh, this is where I think sometimes having a PG movie, you can get a little bit more creative with it because there's so many questions here about Tracy, but it's not the you only live twice type questions where it just doesn't make sense. But she comes and she loses, doesn't have the money to pay for it, goes up and offers herself to bond (laughs) only to have bond basically take her up on it. And then he wakes up in the morning, she's gone and the money's there. So there's two questions. Did she have the money the whole time and get herself in that situation with the casino? Because, again, she's just self she's a self-destructive person. That's what we learn about her. Or is this something where she legitimately did get herself in this trouble, didn't have the money, and maybe when she disappears, it's Draco's men who are dropping the money for Bond. Like, There's a lot of questions there, but both theories, I think, are really interesting, and it brings a lot more complexity to Tracy as a character. I just think... Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add on this scene. It's not boring, but it's not too much. But I love just how you need this because you need Lazenby and Tracy to get that relationship going. You can't just rush into it. Um, so it just builds on this relationship between the two. Plus, we have a pretty cool fight um, and the guy escaping. I thought he was dead. I had to change my kill count. Um because he escaped in the end, and you get uh, Tracy and Bond getting together quite early in the film, but I think it's a fun little sequence to kind of set up the film. Just quickly add, again, Bond, um, after the fight, goes back to his room, doesn't check his room again. We, we This is a recurring <laughs> thing with James Bond. He's the greatest secret agent in the world, but he never checks to see if there's people waiting in his room for him. Um, gets a bit abusive on Tracy, slaps her. Um, and <laughs> I did like the line, you're hurting me. I thought that was the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's abusive and he's a bit rapey again. Uh, I thought this was a new bomb. They're really <laughs> going to levels to show us it's the same one, isn't it? Well, clearly when I did my impersonation of Lazenby, it went back to Sean Connery. Um, <laughs> so thought that was the point, mate. Uh, <laughs> that's our Lazenby impersonation. Uh, so oh, but, yeah, there were times when Lazenby's Aussie accent does come through a bit. I'm yeah, I, it, it's, I think that's a good Lazenby. thing. I like that. Uh, so, yes, uh, bye-bye, Tracy. We're already sort of ticking through the uh, kiss, kiss, bang, bang count at this point. But um, we get Bond with golf clubs. 
checking out girls. He's off to, you know, meet up with golf. Oh, not another golf scene. (laughs) We're all worried there's going to be a golf scene, but then Bond's... I bought (laughs) Palmer. Bring back... Bring back him to really show us the same Bond. Bond's lost something, though, as he gets taken away for a bit of a mystery tour. Uh, we get <laughs> yes. we get taken away to uh, Drake. This is why I just lazy me. I love how he's so... These one-liners, again, were these dubbed over or not? Who knows? But he's trying to maybe go over the top with them because he's always got something quick-witted to say. But he gets taken off to uh, Drake, Draco or Draco? What do we say? Draco. Draco Industries. I say Draco. But... Where we get um, uh, a very creepy father, I have to say. Um, she needs a man to dominate her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to make love to her. <laughs> like, what sort of dad is this? Um, I mean, obviously it sets up the movie. This is uh, a crucial scene because, you know, he just he loves his daughter, wants her to be happy, while also knowing where Blofeld is. Um, and just quickly... Be- Blowshan. Blowshan. <laughs> yes, Count. Um, but before we get to that, uh, Noah, you teased on it before with uh, somebody whistling something. Um, we get the random sweeper man uh, whistling a very well-known um, song. It just happens to be Goldfinger. Uh, <laughs> Who came up with that? Sweeper. That was Knickknack's dad. The family connections. But anyway, so, yeah, Colin, this whole sequence. Wait, can we just... Uh, yes. Like, just... I'm sorry to butt in, but does that scene with the whistle, does anyone know the origins of that at all? I've never heard anything about that. Like, That's like a precursor to the Moore films. Yeah, well, I just think that that, uh, again, was they were trying to find for this first half hour as many times they could remind the audience of the previous movies. So <laughs> I think we they kind of ended after the, the scene, his resignation scene. But uh, I mean, the movie's just full of them at this point. So I think that was pretty much the only reason for it. I, I love. I, I was just going to quickly add. Sorry, Colin. I, I, I'm doing a no here and interrupting, but um, <laughs> I I was reading here uh, that uh, well, according to Wikipedia, at least anyway, um, the produ- the producers. This is what it says: the producers inserted many references to previous films, some as in jokes, including Bond breaking the f- fourth wall by saying this never happened to the other fellow. The credit sequence with images and previous installments, Bond visiting his office, finding objects um, from. We'll get to that, and a caretaker whistling the theme from Goldfinger. So that's just what it says. Sorry, Colin. Yeah. Well. Talking about Draco here, and again, I don't know what your guys' opinion is, but I have always thought that Draco's right up there with Karen Bay as one of Bond's best sidekicks. And I think, again, it's just how much charisma the actor, um, uh, what's his name, Gabriel Frizzetti. But not his voice, though. (laughs) Not his voice. But uh, this is an example like Goldfinger, where usually when you have one actor and one voice, it's pretty obvious, or... Maybe something the performance is lacking. Uh, no discredit to Dickie Vanderzil. Um, but <laughs> with this performance, I mean, this is just, it's right up there with Goldfinger. I mean, such a strong character. And again, a great character in the book. And you mentioned the creepiness. I, I think it's one of those things where the word dominate has kind of, you know, uh, if this were 1969, we may have it differently. But I always sort of saw his character as kind of a fun character. Like you said, he loves his daughter. And some of the things he said are maybe seem outdated right now. But I mean, He's kind of just like an old school Italian family man. And I like that the background of his character, without them even saying much, you get so much of an idea of 
he's this crime boss, but he's also a nice guy. And you don't get that a lot in the Bond movies. So such a great character. And I just love the whole performance. All, he, all those crime uh, bosses talk, are bastards, Colin. He's a crime yeah. boss with a heart. Occasionally you have one. <laughs> I really, you know that I love the Bond allies. I don't love Cecilinda, but I love I love all the allies. Quarrel, Karen. Yeah. And it's good to finally have one back because we've kind of had feeling. Oh, well, you had Taika Tanaka. Um, but, uh, yeah, Draco is kind of the first. Karim isn't purely a good guy, but he's not a bad guy. Draco is a bad guy. He's like he's a crime boss with a heart, but he runs the second biggest criminal organization in the world. And it's just really bizarre to have bond teaming up with him but it's kind of like we need to get rid of blofeld who is the most evil person in the entire world so we have to team up with the bad guys and it's kind of cool that uh like tracy but i think if bond was ever to marry someone it wouldn't just be the good girl who sits at home in london making scones it would be the daughter who's of an evil guy like she's a bit of a bad girl so that makes sense um He's not quite Quarrel or Karam for me, but I really do like Draco. He's one of the last greats in the Bond allies, and it's a great setup for him. And this is jumping for... Actually, I'll leave that for the final battle um, at the snow thing, but, yeah, he runs the second biggest criminal organisation in the world. Well, my question with that is, is he doing this for Bond to get Blofeld so that get rid of Blofeld to become the biggest... So the biggest criminal... So he's Bond so... essentially in this movie helping out Draco to become the biggest criminal boss in the world? Is that what this all borders down to? You could spin the story to be like that. Like, I don't want to jump the gun, but at the end of the movie, we're going to have a reference to the fact that, you know, outside of what we've seen Spectre do, Draco was part of one of the biggest things in Bond history, so he's not necessarily this guy that Bond should be helping, but... Yeah, it's such a fun idea for a character, though, and I love that Ian Fleming came up with that idea. It, it's great, but I cringe a bit when at the wedding, this is jumping far ahead, but when M is talking to Draco. <laughs> That's what like, I was mentioning, yeah. Come on, like, yeah, give me a break. It's kind of like, oh, well, these guys are, you know, pretty bad <laughs> bastards, but they're okay. They've got a <laughs> hot daughter, and Bond got married for it, so can't be all bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Great character, though. I did love the little um, exchange there where he's like, I am the head of the largest criminal organization. No, was it? No, Bond says, You are the head of one of the largest. The largest. No, second largest. Spectre. Yeah, Spectre. <laughs> Spectre. Spectre. <laughs> but, but then the other thing is, we were joking in our Spectre uh, trailer episode, uh, the daughter, like Melissa knows Stacey Stromberg. <laughs> in a way, Tracy kind of is the daughter of a bad guy. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Mm, yeah. And it's, it's, it's something that. It's, I mean, I don't know, Colin, if, if it's discussed more in the book, but it, it's kind of just like very much glossed over, isn't it? Like, oh, you're the head of a second largest. Oh, that's okay. You've got a hot daughter. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. as long as you got information for me, Amelia. Oh, sure. Why not? Like, is that brought more up in the book? Is a bit more of an issue for Bond? No, not really. But part of that is, again, I, I'm going to kind of jump to the next scene. But the idea that's set up in this movie is that M is relieving Bond from Operation Bedlam, which is, you know, <laughs> the search for Spectre and Blofeld and Bond doesn't want to be removed for it, where it was actually the opposite in the book 
Spawn was resigning because he was tired of looking for Blofeld. He didn't think he should have to do this in the first place. So more than anything, I think he just saw this as an opportunity. It's like, hey, I could finally get M off my back and get back to killing people again. The rebellious <laughs> bond. Oh, Dad says no, so I'm going to do it anyway. Um, we get a mention of on, uh, well, Her Majesty's Secret Service, not on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, we get several mentions. We, we do, but is it, is it ever uttered, though, in a direct line on Her Majesty's Secret Service? Or is it always no, Her Majesty's Secret Service? It's never mentioned, but when they do mention it, they always go, Her Majesty's Secret Service, so they always like say it really obviously. So it's never said the full title, but you tell when they are saying it. Could, they're saying it because of the name of the film. Correct me if I'm wrong here, would this be then the only Bond film that is never directly mentioned the entire title? Live and let die. Up, up until this point, I think there'll be a few to come. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, you've got live and let die. Yeah, and we don't, I, don't, I guess we don't get quantum of solace in a word, do we, in Casino? I don't remember hearing, uh, that was a great of you to a kill that you have there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they somehow probably tried to work it in there, like how we got in future ones. I guess you'll live to die another day. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Uh, So we then cut uh, to uh, back to MI6. Uh, The hat is back. Um, (laughs) And Lazenby and Moneypenny meet in person for the first time. Um, I I have to say, their chemistry again, like, is it Lazenby? Because I think him and Lois had a bit like, I would almost say... A bit more than Sean and Lois. I don't know if anyone would agree there with me. No, I mean, but I think it's it's right between Roger Moore and Sean Connery, who both had a long time to build a rapport with her. And the chemistry that Lazenby has with all of the actors in this movie is surprising, because I think where he struggles are the just kind of bland scenes on his own when he's just delivering one-liners and things like that. But when he has somebody to play off of, especially these actors who have been in the movie it seems like that they all really click. And that's why it's funny to hear that he wasn't that popular. But I agree with you. I think that he was really good in this. Um, I did want to really quickly mention, uh, did anybody else notice how cool it was that we're seeing these sets of Moneypenny's office and M's office, but it all seems to look a little bit different. Like they expand the sets a little bit. They film it from different angles. And it was just like, we're so used to seeing those sets the way they were. And Peter Hunt just chose to look at the sets in just a slightly different way. And it made this movie seem that much bigger to me. Um, I'm kind of the same view, Colin. I think it's in between Connery and more. I don't think you'll m- match that early Connery and Money Penny, but they've got something going on there. But again, as you mentioned, Ben, she just looks so old in this film. I don't know what happened. Um, maybe it's those wide shots that you just mentioned, Colin, <laughs> that make her look old for some reason. But I, I think it's a fun scene. I don't think it's great. I, I prefer the money penny at the wedding scene. I think that's a really subtle and cool yeah. Bond money penny scene. Um, but yeah, I think it's in between Connery and Moore. So he, he's all right. And if they had another film together, I think it would have been expanded on. Uh, we get, uh, as Colin touched on, Operation Bedlam. He's uh, about to uh, just cease and desist. I love the little moment, though, that when he's standing at the desk and there's just a silence 
there and sort of like, you know, Bond's like, going, oh, g'day, Em, how's it going, mate? You know, like he's Aussie Bond, you know, <laughs> sort of like, yeah, what's going on? Want to watch footy? What's going on? Um, and then Operation Bedlam's uh, been relieved from, and I love his line, Bluefield's something of a must with me. Like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you just say, I want to get Blofeld or something? Um, and then he's... Can we just point out, uh, sorry to butt in again, because we've kind of been talking about the main major characters early on here. I just noticed that I think Bernard Lee was very good in this film. I think he had a lot to... He had jokey. He was at the wedding. I think I really enjoyed all the M scenes in this film. He was creepy. Um. Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll get to that. No, I agree with you. That's, he, it's a good point. Um, I, I definitely think he... Uh, it, was, it was easily one of his stronger performances, for sure. It's interesting to me because... Uh, him versus Sean Connery, it's kind of a different interplay they have where he can be the authority figure, but Connery is a little bit dismissive of that. And uh, Connery's bond is kind of like we've mentioned before, a little bit of a child and just having fun. So even though M could boss him around, that bond would just sort of like, yeah, whatever, just like the disruptive kid in class. Whereas Lazenby, it's just a different way of playing off him where suddenly M is a real authority figure. And even though Lazenby's bond is standing up to him more than we ever would have seen Sean Connery's do, M just seems like more of a boss character now. And he seems like somebody where it's like, okay, well, this guy, this guy is running the government. So I really buy him more in this movie. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's um, the first of many films that will see Bond not, um, well, I guess more so in the future we get Bond not really being part of MI6 anymore because we see him, quote, resign. But, of course, we then uh, soon find out that Money Penny just basically wrote down to take a two-week leave of absence. Um, I love when Bond comes out and, you know, take a memo, please. Um, and, yes, resignation. Um, and then we cut to a She's scene. She's not even his assistant. Yes, <laughs> I know. She just said, no, I've got things to do. Like, she doesn't look very busy half the time, Money Penny. She's always just ready to, like, flirt. But shouldn't she be doing some filing or something? Like... Shouldn't she be fixing that intercom <laughs> yeah. that's always broken? <laughs> Where's Mary Goodnight for this? Because in the book, yes. Bont has his own assistant. So <laughs> he should be asking her to do some of this work. Like, she's getting a free ride. I, I'm, I'm guessing Bont... <laughs> assistant probably um, just gets jealous of Money Penny too. Like he's always off flirting with her, not long with his assistant. Um, but then we get into this scene. I don't even barely need to say uh, what the best part about this scene is. Bond cleaning out his desk. <laughs> yeah. We hear it underneath the mango tree. Yes, Lazen being mango tree. How is this not the greatest Bond film ever? Best film ever. <laughs> It's so strange, though, because, like, every fan loves watching this because it's all those throwbacks, and it is the last time we'll have throwbacks to the past movies. Until what movie, that? Colin? Until what movie? Uh, I'm not going to mention it. I'm done with <laughs> that. <laughs> Eight episodes in, we need to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> but you have to ask yourself, Bond has Honey's belt and knife. Okay, maybe it was like a keepsake from their, their two days together. When did he pocket Red Grant's watch? <laughs> like, I don't remember seeing him pick his pocket after this thing was done. He just has it for no reason. He's a grave digger. <laughs> Pretty much. 
what other things could he have pulled out too? Like, could he have pulled out that that brick of gold that he won in the golf yeah. match with Goldfinger? I think yeah, there was a lot of missed opportunities here, like Quarrels Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> like what else? I'm trying to think. The um, eye patch. Uh. Yeah, the golf ball from golf. Yeah, would have been good. His Japanese yellow face apparatus. <laughs> yeah, his eyebrow. Blowfield's cat. <laughs> <laughs> a first cat poo. Ah, oh, Blofeld did a poo. Cat poo. It's, you cannot love not not love this scene. It's just brilliant, and I just picture Honey. Oh, where's my knife? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like they, after they showed each uh, person, they should have cut to where they are in the world at the moment. And like, <laughs> oh, where's my watch? Um, well, he's dead, but yeah. Um, Dink's underwear. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> of Tanya with the from Russia with love writing on it. That would have been a better uh, prop to have. Um, but money Penny keeps that, and like it's framed yeah. on a bedside table at night. <laughs> um, but underneath the mango tree, I forgot about this, and I was cheering so loudly and so excited when this turned up. Um, it sounds a bit weird though. Then then they cut to from Russia with love, and it's just all over the shop. But I think it's a great scene. It's really them pushing. Um, pushing for them uh, that it's the same bond, but it's just bizarre that in his office, like this is probably four years after Dr. No, in his office, these are the things that are in his drawer when he's packing up to leave MI6 as a spy, like of all the things, but it's so much fun. One of my favourite scenes from the movie. We then just quickly, um, you know, as I said, the two weeks notice, I just want to quickly mention he kisses Money Penny. It's a slight little <laughs> peck on the lips, but... Still a sweet little moment. And and basically said that they'll go on a date with each other when they get back. And, of course, when he gets back, he happens to be married. So, back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the one time they're about to hook up. No, he's getting married. Um, so then we get to the next bit with uh, Tracy coming along to uh, this bullfighting. Um, are we in Portugal here? Is this where it's meant? Because I know it was filmed there, but is it meant to be set in Portugal or Spain? Do we know? Yeah, I, I, I would have thought Spain, but you never know. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess we never really see. Um, so then, uh, yes, we get the introduction between Bond and Tracy, even though uh, they've already met. And then for some reason, Draco, she likes you, I can see it. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, this whole... Just give me the number of your Oculus. <laughs> yes, yes. And is that, what, an old-style term for an optometrist? Like, I've never Apparently. heard the term Oculus before. But... Um, this whole situation, um, we get to the table, of course, when Tracy basically is getting angry, and Diana Rick holds this fantastically. Can I just point that out when she's just really getting to say, like, no, tell him, tell him the truth. You haven't told him the truth. We know where Blofeld is. There's a connection. Da, da, da. Um, and then just before we get to this lovely little montage of them falling in love, um, this whole sequence, though, I, I thought it was a very enjoyable uh, sequence of events and really helped connect Bond and Tracy a little bit even closer. Yeah, and again, not to mention being able to see these locations, which at the time, this wasn't blue screen, this wasn't green screen, and I, I already mentioned how much I liked in You Only Live Twice, seeing him at the sumo match, just a real environment with regular spectators and Bonds in the middle of it, and I like how they keep cutting back and forth, and some of those bulls look like they were going to castrate these guys. Like, that was pretty brutal. <laughs> but it's it's a fun scene, and it's funny to say that it's a fun scene because it's pretty serious if you really get down to it. I mean, this is, again, this very messed up girl who has this really rocky relationship with her father, and 
everybody's kind of just wants something from everybody, but they still have good intentions. And this is where I first noted that I don't think Sean Connery could have played this. And that's funny because when I first read the book, uh, this was one of the first Bond books I read, even though I had seen the movie with Lazenby, I always wondered what would this be like with Sean Connery. So I read the book with Sean Connery in mind, and that's why I say I don't know if Connery could have done this. Even if you look forward to some of the other Bonds, when they have these sentimental scenes and everything, they don't quite pull them off this well. So full credit to Lazenby, too. And as you said, Diana Rigg just nails this scene. I mean, she really is the anchor that holds this movie together, I think. I don't have too much to add here, but it is, as you said, a fun scene. Like It's all important because it's character building between Bond and, uh, not Tanya, now I'm turning into Ben, um, <laughs> Tracy. Um, and I love seeing her, those two with Draco, like the three amigos, the three blind mice. It's fun seeing those three <laughs> together, Bond's uh, father-in-law, which is pretty cool. And then that obviously draws into the montage, as you mentioned. But, yeah, I love Tracy uh, ordering her dad around, like, tell him what he wants to know and when she finds out what her dad's up to. But, yeah, just great, important scene for the relationship between Bond and Tracy. I kept expecting when um, Tracy walks off and you see Bond and, like, he just disappears like that. Like, where did he go? Um, yeah. I think I'm expecting him to be, like, fighting a bull. Like, going, Tracy, <laughs> look at me go. Look at me go. It's not a Roger Moore film. <laughs> we get this montage. Uh, it's, it's cheesy as all hell, but it's nice. And, like, I do like Louis Armstrong's song. It grows on me. I mean, as I said before, it's not, like, as up-tempo as some, but it, it is it is a romantic and beautiful song and really sets up the love between these two. And, um, you know, uh, again, we mentioned a bit last uh, episode about maybe we, for montage music, we could have a bit of a Team America style montage <laughs> over the top of it. Sure, lots of things happening at once. Um, but, yeah, cuddling, spinning, lots of animals. There's bears, horses, cats. Uh, <laughs> Anybody want to add anything on the montage? The montage does feel kind of cheesy, but the song really does help. It's so funny because this isn't the type of song you ever hear in a Bond movie, even though we've had like the lullaby of You Only Live Twice and <laughs> From Rush With Love, which doesn't really sound Bond-like compared nowadays. I mean, this is just kind of like a sad ballad. And uh, Louis Armstrong, this, as far as I know, this was the last song he ever did too, wasn't it? Possibly. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure it was, was too like, the sick final to even song. play trumpet on it. Yeah. yeah. And he's such a famous singer. I mean, you probably could find a lot of people who don't know the name Louis Armstrong, but I doubt you could find anybody who didn't know the voice of Louis Armstrong. So he's without a doubt the most iconic singer that they had ever had to do a Bond theme. And I hate uh, to I break th- this to you, Colin, but that was actually Nicky Vanderzil who overdubbed Louis. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was wondering when I heard this, I'm like Cookie Monster doing a Bond theme. Never <laughs> thought this would happen. <laughs> we have all the time in the world. Yeah, that's Louis' real one. Um, <laughs> it's so out of place, but I was thinking about this, and there's kind of almost no other way they could do this. You need to show that time has passed and that Bond and Tracy are kind of becoming a couple, and this movie can't go on for 10 hours. Um so you need something quick and fast, and yeah, I think it stands out like a sore thumb, but I can't think of any other way to do it. Um, 
And if we had to do like top 10 unique Bond scenes, this would definitely be up there. It's kind of the only time we really have a proper London calling to tell us <laughs> that we're in London. But um, I think Louis Armstrong is amazing. His voice is so good and it's such a haunting song, even though it's a good, um, even though it's a love song. But uh, it's an important scene, even though it's a bit hokey, but I like it. Uh, yeah, and you both correct i'm just reading he died of a heart attack two years later apparently he recorded it in one take despite being very ill um interesting and i'm just reading here about the the theme non her majesty's secret service theme um was re-recorded was this what you were talking about colin the propeller heads re-recorded it in 1997 yes. for the shaken and stirred album yeah, which is, if anybody has a chance to hear that, it's a compilation that David Arnold, who went on to become the composer of Bond, did, where he got all these artists to re-record songs. I mean, all, half the songs on there are even better. Iggy Pop's version of All the Time in the World, I think it was, was almost <laughs> as good as this. I have to hear that. And uh, they also use a bit of the um, Piz Gloria sequence, the theme from that, uh, in The Incredibles as well. So, there you go. Just reading about the soundtrack. Fascinating. Um, all right, so we cut then to uh, Tracy Bond and Draco in the car, and <laughs> a little bit creepily. I, I, maybe I'm just reading into this too much. You got uh, Draco in the middle, <laughs> and like Bond and Tracy just like, ah, ah. Um, and then of course later on we had that little exchange with Draco and Tracy about um, you know, oh, he's probably not in love with me. But I digress. We go back. Uh, we get Bond, of course, going in to see Gumball's office. I like to call him Gumball. Uh, <laughs> Gumby. Um, keep, he wants to have his martini kept cool as well. I like that line. And uh, up he goes, up into the office, just as uh, Gumball happens to be leaving, because he'll be back in an hour, um, that he says so monotonally German. And um, we get this whole sequence of Bond in the office with this printer slash safecracker. I want to know what happened to his fancy safecracker from You Only Live Twice. Why does he need a giant, massive printer to do this? Um, we get these letters. He photocopies them. I sort of freeze-frame them to read what the letters are. I'm sure that's probably on the internet anyway. People have already done that. But um, I don't know if any of you guys did, and we sort of learn this whole uh, situation that uh, they're trying to trace the roots of Blofeld, or I can't even say it. You know my pronunciations is bad. Blue Champ. Blue Champ. Blue Champ, whatever. Blue Champ. Blue Champ. There you go. That was very French. Um, so just do it as if you're French Louis Armstrong and you'll nail it. La chambre. Um, <laughs> we see the name Hillary, Sir Hillary Bray, of course, uh, which will lead us into a bit more. But, um, yeah, um, Colin, this whole, you know, tension of being in the office and finding the documents. You know, this scene gets a lot of criticism from fans, and it's mostly because of what you mentioned about the safe cracker he had. And it's really amazing to me that people don't get why, because I'll just say the, the complaint is, why is the thing so big and bulky? And the answer to that is exactly what you said, Ben, because this one photocopies, the other one didn't. <laughs> and the second thing is that people complain that it takes forever for this thing to crack the safe, whereas the one Connery had and you only live twice was instantaneous. But again, the difference is that this is an automatic one. Connery was having to listen to it and turn the things himself. So 
all the complaints out there, this has been explained. The safe cracker, this is bulkier because it does more. And that's pretty much all I have to say about the scene. Other than the only time in the Bond franchise we get confirmation that he's a bit of a porn hound. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Playboy. <laughs> Thought this was a new Bond. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a few critis- well, criticism about this. Set, and it's not exactly what you said, Colin. My... my not hatred, but just it's one of my favourite scenes. And it has nothing to do with You Only Live Twice. It's just, I feel like it goes on a bit and we're just watching Lazenby sit down for like five minutes when I, everything you said, Colin, makes sense, but we really could have seen him turn the machine on and then cut to something, cut to him getting the files and then cut to him leaving. Instead, it's like five minutes of like big cranes swinging around and reading Playboy for a minute. Um, we don't even get to see what's inside the magazine. Um, Didn't you freeze frame that when he was walking through the uh, corridor? How could you see what? inside? Yeah, when you said you freeze framed on the letters, you weren't talking what about are we the seeing? Letters. What are we seeing inside of? What? The, uh, the magazine. What? Never mind, that joke died. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can we also mention here that uh, this scene was probably longer than it needed to be because they felt compelled to introduce the most pointless Bond ally in the history of Bond allies who doesn't speak. And as many times I've seen this movie, when he turns up dead later on, I'm always scratching my head thinking, did I see him earlier in this movie? So he's the yeah, Hans he of this movie. He's the good guy version of Hans. Exactly. I'm like, oh, there's the henchman, and I'm like, oh no, wait, he's he's the ally. Uh, what? Oh, well, does he have a name? Does he even have a name? Well, according to this, his name is Sean Campbell. Oh. But of course, we never get it. Bond <laughs> doesn't even speak to the man. <laughs> like, for all we know, this is part of the problem with his character. He just appears. We don't see Bond ever make eye contact with him, speak to him. Like, what if he's just a crazy Bond stalker? <laughs> what if Bond and him had a one night stand you know, a couple of months? <laughs> Or he really he just, just wants to go to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> restaurants up here. <laughs> well, we do find out that Hillary doesn't necessarily like women, so maybe he was really in character. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I just could imagine this scene if this was in a modern Bond, like if Spectre Spectre is a remake of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. While he's waiting for the safety crack, he's like on his phone on like a red tube or something like that, watching porn. Um, he just happens to have a Playboy there ready to go. Um, so, uh, from this moment on, uh, we get to see Bond meeting up with M and his butterfly collection again, sort of updating him where he is, even though he's not meant to be doing anything. Then, um, we see Bond meeting, uh, Hillary. I just can't believe Hillary's a boy's name. Um, <laughs> Uh, we get... How open you are in the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> um, he goes to the, you know, all the tension of genealogy. Ooh, family tree searching. Oh, oh um, there is a cool little Easter egg in there. Though. Well, I did. Yeah, the world is not enough. Are we talking about that? Yeah, yep. that's cool. I got a bit excited when they said the world is not enough. Uh, much betterly handled and said than Pierce Brosnan your, does in the world is not your enough. Your family motto: Die another day. <laughs> Um, and um, we then sort of lead all this into uh, Bond eventually going on the train to meet, um, I can't even say the, um, Blunt Woman, but what do they call her? Flora. No, the, the, madam, what are they, the German for madam or whatever it is. 
Florine. Froline. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Froline. My European language skills are over. Florine. Is it that hard for you Australians to pronounce Froline? Hey, just because you've got French Canadian in your country. Considering Ben just came off a sentence saying, I can't believe Hillary is a boy's name. We shouldn't really talk about names. Between Froline and Cest, like, these are the two hardest things for the Australians to pronounce. We have stutters. We're excited about Lazenby, okay? I've got a question for you guys um, here. Seeing as we're pretty much up to it, and I'm sorry if I'm stealing anything here. Um, Blofeld or Blosharp really has a thing for older women. So my question is, and we'll talk a lot more about her, I'm sure, as we go along. Um, I'm sure you've got some stuff to say, Ben, but my question for you two is, Irma Bunt or Bunt, Florine or Rosa Clare? Um, Bunt. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm a Rosa, Rosa guy. I feel you got more of um, Froline. Bunt doesn't yeah, have I... kooky glasses, though. But when we get to, I don't want to spoil it, when we get to the end of the movie, I mean, she cements herself by the end yeah. of the movie, I think. Yeah, whereas Kleb's just a shoe-wielding maniac. Lesbian. Lesbian. <laughs> lesbian. There was, uh, just quickly, uh, before Colin, your whole thoughts on all this sequence before we get, obviously, to um, uh, the, the important parts of the movie, I guess. Uh, the, the worst dubbing of the entire movie when Bond's in the office with Hillary and... I, th- <laughs> I think his line is tactfully adjusted to favour me. I think that's his line. Yeah. And, and like, we go from, like, you know, Lazenby sort of semi-British Australian <laughs> accent to, like, I'm, I can't even remember how it is, but I'm just going to put on my um, cookie monster pimply face pizza <laughs> guy. <laughs> tactfully adjusted to favour me! It was yeah, so bad! The thing with this film is it's bizarre because I think his name is George Baker. Is that right? Um, yeah. The guy who plays Hilly. Why... Why did he dub the, exactly his voice? Shouldn't he be like downplayed his voice a bit so it wasn't exactly to the <laughs> T of what his voice is? And the other question is, if if they've never met Hillary Bray and Bond is b- b- pretending to be him, then why does he even need to do the accent? Well, again, very simple answer to that is that Blofeld has met Bond before like in the last movie, so he needed to do something because he doesn't do much to disguise himself, so I guess the voice was the more appropriate disguise. So that's the best I could come up with. He's good at um, doing voices, old bomb. <laughs> yeah. Not Japanese I, I want to say quickly, as pointless as it is, it's cool to see M at home. Uh, it's even cooler <laughs> to think about how boring all of Bond's colleagues' lives are without him. I mean, <laughs> Q is just making lint and M is dissecting butterflies. M needs like, a girlfriend. They, <laughs> M needs dink back or well, I think I think M's wife must have left him because he was kind of going after money penny. Well, we didn't we didn't mention back the first creepy money penny moment, which we've already got over. But yeah, that's why he's so like horny for money penny. Yeah, like, on the intercom, what would I do without you, money penny? <laughs> and her little creepy smile though, she seemed to like it. And then I can't yeah. remember again. We're jumping ahead to the wedding, but what was the line in the wedding? Another creepy M moment. Yeah, <sighs> it was something. That's why M is always splitting um, Bond and Money Penny up because he's doing her on the side. Something for Money Penny. Yeah, it's like a love triangle. You know, with the it, it really is kind of strange why they dubbed. I 
I would think that they were trying to come up with an explanation because it is the only plot hole in the movie. Why Blo- it makes sense why Bond doesn't recognize Blofeld. He's obviously gone through some surgery and changed his identity, but it makes no sense why Blofeld does not recognize Bond. I mean, he, his face has been in the newspapers, you know, as we learned in the last one. <laughs> but uh, the voice has to just be that explanation. And maybe Lazenby, again, a brand new actor. He's an Australian guy pulling off his first British accent. He's never acted before. Maybe it was just too hard for him to do another voice. Although Lazenby also said he he didn't realize he was being dubbed until he saw the finished movie. Why couldn't I just wanted to really quickly, j- yeah, just before we move on, I want to really quickly mention that George Baker, the guy who plays Sir Hilary Bray, this was one of the original actors they looked at for Dr. No. Uh, and it came <laughs> down pretty close, and it, Sean Connery basically beat him out, but they kept him in mind for the, obviously use him in this role, and he will go on to appear in uh, other roles as well in the Bond series. It's just with that, like, it's jumping ahead, but we've already mentioned it, so we might as well talk about it. That the Blofeld doesn't recognise him. Um, that's the one thing that really shits me about this film. Um, and I know they wanted to keep it close to the novel as much as possible, and they did it after Twice comes after the novel, uh, after on a Majesty's Secret Service novel. But like, why couldn't they? They just put Bond in some sort of disguise or something, and that would have fixed all issues. And then when he gets captured, I don't know, they take off his wig or something. And then, oh, it's James Bond, like, just done or, one little thing to fix it. Why doesn't he keep his glasses on? He shows up with his goofy hat and these goofy glasses. I mean, if he had kept those on, it would have at least been somewhat plausible. But the fact that he just walks around as James Bond, but he's wearing a kilt, <laughs> I mean, it must be a different guy, right? And, yeah, like, um, I can forgive uh, Sturd, not shaken. That's right, isn't it? But be continuity error that like and peter hunt not franks has been with the film since the beginning so you'd think at least someone would mention this has there ever been an explanation for it no uh, i the one that i gave you is basically which came up <laughs> off the top of my head so there we go colin solved it everybody i think <laughs> yeah. it's as close as we're gonna get to inner peace at this because scene. i guess what in times are forever when blowfield like significantly changes his appearance like so is it meant to be in this one too that he's like what got his scar fixed and things like that is that sort of the explanation well, well, for mentioned the earlobes. Yeah, i know the earlobes yeah, but, but even in the novel like bond didn't meet blowfeld in the thunderball novel which the sequence in the books goes thunderball on her majesty's secret service you only live twice which is right. the way they wanted to make these location problems caused him to flip the movies around um but he still went through surgery even in the book because he knew that the authorities were going to be looking for him so blofeld was always meant to be in disguise it's just bond wouldn't have recognized him in the book but obviously he has to recognize him here i think if you were going to go through a a disguise and go to the effort of changing your uh identity wouldn't you pick a different name other than the french version of name <laughs> i'm changing my identity what will i be called uh blowfeld blowshan <laughs> i just came up with the explanation it was his wonky eye in the last part he couldn't see properly out of it so he doesn't remember what bond looks like <laughs> he was yeah. yes he was blind the whole time um i wonder <laughs> one, vision one thing i think the biggest question though we all have to ask is when we eventually get to blowfeld is it the same cat playing his evil cat or did they have to recast the cat no, they, they got rid of Mr. Mittens. <laughs> and were the cat's meows dubbed by Nikki Vanderbilt? <laughs> 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 meow, do it again, Nikki. Meow! 
Uh, do we have anything to add on the whole um, Bunt uh, Hillary scene in the helicopter and um, getting um, sort of a bit of a feel for what's going on at uh, one of the best locations in any James Bond films? Um, anything to add on this whole situation? Uh, the aerial photography here. I mean, the only other time in these classic, classic Bond movies that they do such a good job with capturing a location was the underwater stuff in Thunderball. Because the aerial photography in this movie, I mean, you couldn't find a modern movie that does it this well. And already, I have to say, the Irma Bunt character is so good, uh, even compared to Rosa Klebb here, because she's kind of unintentionally funny at times. I mean, when she's asking like him, he's always asking questions. She has like three or four examples every time she's asking questions. Like, Do you feel the air sickness? The hay fever or the sickness caused by the oysters? Like, the sickness caused by the oysters is the best way she could explain that. What about conch chowder? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have the sickness caused by the conch chowder? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. The visuals are just so impressive here. It's amazing. And we get our helicopter in here. Um, I like when they're talking and... Uh, Bunt is amazing, the actress who sadly died four days after this film was released. Um, she was supposed to be back for Diamonds Are Forever, and that's such a shame, I think, because she's really a good actress. But um, they talk about the allergies, and he says, what allergies? And she goes, all of them. And yeah, then I was thinking, all allergies um, in the world, all of them. Yeah, then I was thinking, so do they have a cure for celiac then? Here <laughs> <laughs> you go, Colin, they're helping you out. <laughs> I could go to brainwash to commit biological terror as well. <laughs> you like gluten. Gluten <laughs> is your friend. Love gluten. Also, I love how abrupt and short she sounds with everything. It's like, I'll be happy to get my feet on the ground. Not ground, ice. She's like, <laughs> yeah. like the female Schwarzenegger in this movie. It's amazing. I also like the fact that she's essentially claiming that vegetarianism is an allergy. The ability, inability <laughs> to eat meat. <laughs> People can't eat meat. Yes. Yes, all you vegetarians listening, it's an allergy. Um, now, how do we say, is it peas Gloria? Peas Gloria? Peas? Peas. Peas, all right. Um, I'm just ready to hear about it that um, the the film, the movie production crew actually helped to build it um, because it was sort of partly constructed when they were searching for a location and the movie production crew um, contributed to it in return for exclusive use of filming in the movie. Um, and this still is there. Um, so you can go along to this in Switzerland. Would you go there, Colin? Well, George Lazenby just went back there recently. There's some uh, great pictures, an article that was taken where he returned to this location for the first time. So it looks exactly the same, like from the pictures I've seen. I mean, this would be the I, ultimate I location um, to visit for any Bond fan. There, I, I think. what you said about the aerial photography. It looks, it's incredibly beautiful and uh, picturesque and awesome. Uh, we get to um, Pease Gloria. And uh, my question is, why do all the henchmen have Olympic rings on their outfits. Is this ever explained? Like, are these just Olympians that have failed Switzerland and they've just, like, so annoyed that they didn't win medals that they've just joined Spectre? <laughs> yeah, um... I'm going to have to do some research here. Uh, were the Olympics in Switzerland at that point? Like, if they, uh, the one thing I did want to bring up is that 
if you look in this movie, Spectre doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, we don't have any mention of it being <laughs> Spectre anymore. It's just sort of Blofeld and Bunt, and they have these random guys around. So maybe all the Spectre people fled, it's, um, and it's, he just had to hire a bunch of Olympians. to B&B, Blofeld and Bunt. Um St. <laughs> Moritz in Switzerland hosted the Olympics in 1948 and 1928. But, I mean, what, 19... So, 1969, the previous Winter Olympics were in Grenoble in France. So, yeah, we hadn't had a Swiss Olympics in about 20 years. So, they're all very bitter ex-St. Uh, Moritz employees who have joined B&B uh, <laughs> to seek... <laughs> These are the guys yes. who were disqualified from the bobsleigh for shooting guns on the track. So they're like, "This is why, of I'll course, you, you see you're, cool you're running the Swiss now. team or the bobsled team to beat because they're so well trained up there in um, Peace Gloria." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we we get to um, see this uh, lovely little layout, uh, the rooms that you've got to press a button to open the door, press a button to ask something. <laughs> it's very complicated. Press a button to flush the toilet. <laughs> yes. It's a very complicated that, that arrangement. Like, yeah, like I love the way that scene plays where she's like, it's kind of more pauses than Bunt usually has. It's like, you must ring for him, you know, if you want anything. Also, ring for him if you want to open the door. Also, ring for him if you need to brush your teeth. Also, <laughs> ring for him if you need help putting on your underwear. Like, how many more examples did she have? Um, and then we get, uh, eventually it all leads up into the meeting, the 7 o'clock date. I'm thinking, oh, Bond's about to hook up with Bunt here. This is uh, not his usual uh, type, particularly when the uh, random Olympian turns around to Bond and says, uh, Fräulein will receive you now. Um, it's like, okay. Uh, Grunt, Grunt, yes. Uh, but then this leads us into meeting the angels of death, um, including a very memorable cameo from random Australian angel of death. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. Yes. Tell us some more about the genealogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is one of those moments where I don't know what people's reactions are. But the first time I saw this, and I saw Bond walk out in a kilt with a ruffled shirt, I mean, <laughs> I could not take Lace and be seriously. And I get that it's in character of Hillary Bray, but it just doesn't look right to me on Bond. And that's this is the look that they used on the poster, um, which still, I, I mean, I'm still confused about it to this day. I don't know. The scene goes on forever, and that's kind of the joke about it. The idea that all these girls are so fascinated just because, oh, we finally have a guy here and he's, you know, mildly attractive and, you know, he's wearing a kilt isn't that funny, but he's just going on about the most boring things ever. I mean, I find myself as an audience member kind of nodding off during the scene after a while. As much as I love this movie, I understand the purpose of it. I understand why he's just droning on, but it just goes on for a while. But there are a lot of fun characters among the angels of death here, particularly Ruby. Yeah, um, I mentioned at the top of the show there would be some criticisms. I do think pretty much the entire next, what is it, maybe 20 minutes until he meets Blofeld, Blosharp, it's it's not boring. Like, I'm not bored a la Thunderball, but it's not exciting. There's some funny moments in there, some nice bunt moments. Um, <laughs> and I thought with the Angels, it's like, great, we're going to tick off 12 on our um, <laughs> Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Bang Bang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Um, but uh, I do like the angels. Some of them are a bit annoying. Some, some don't even speak, and we'll get to a moment that's really uncomfortable. Um, um, and we have Joanna Lumley in there, uh, who is also part of the Avengers. Um, so they really love their Avengers cast in the James Bond she, films. She was great as Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry, wrong Avengers. Right, sorry. Um, there's some funny moments I like when she writes on his leg the room number that's good um, and tell us about the genealogy some, like obviously Bond is just loving it although apparently Hilly does Hilly's uh, allergic yeah. to girls <laughs> <laughs> yes Hilly is um, hmm yeah. <laughs> exactly um, sequence, I do get a bit bored here I have to say I I didn't uh, I like it? I think it's just a great scene, and I just love the fact that um, they've gone all out for this cover. That a genealogist has flown all the way to this secret base just to prove that he can be Blochamp. Like, who does that for a genealogist? Like, what genealogist is watching this movie going, "Wow, I can like fly to Switzerland and hook up with twelve women. I've got the best profession in the world." Like, was there a spike in genealogy classes at like university after on Her Majesty's Secret Service? I do have. It's to also say... good that there's. You go. Oh, go ahead, Noah. Uh, I was just going to say it's kind of off topic of the genealogy, but the Angels of Death. Um, the concept is so great, and I do like the characters. I just wish we got a bit more into the characters and actually got to see them in action. That's the one thing I'm a bit upset about this film. We didn't see them. this featured so prominently as goofy, crazy people, but it would be nice to see them in action. I do like that there are little moments that these girls get where you get to see some personality. I can't remember which girl it was that had the line. It's like, what does a gyno, I mean, a genealogist do? Like, that was kind of a funny line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, like, that I, I'm just, that line? I don't know if that was... I think it was. Like, I think it's one of those that. things that they're like, most people won't get this joke, you know, because they're too... Uh, uh, too conservative, but let's throw this Fuck in there. Fuck so Mildred. <laughs> Mildred! <laughs> Mildred, what's a gyno genealogist? <laughs> it's so suggestive, some of this scene, though. Like, we get the whole gold balls. I have four of them. Um, and they're, they're eating the chicken. Like, that's very sexual. It's sexiful. I've written sexiful on my notes here. Um, but but also, you, you mentioned the lipstick scene. You did mention the bit afterwards, of course. I have a slight stiffness coming on. My shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel we cannot skip over it. We have to talk about the hands-down, unforgiving, most racist moment in a James Bond film ever. Well, we you want to set that up, Ben? Well, no, I will say Noah pointed this out in our little chat. And it's I had, a blink and you miss it. I hadn't sort of rewatched it. And Colin even questioned I mean, Colin's probably seen this movie than both Noah and I combined more times. Um and when I've sort of watched it, I'm keeping an eye out for it and I'm sort of giving up. And, I mean, there are a couple of moments there sort of, you know, we had, we had the Asian angel of death sort of eating rice. I'm thinking maybe that's what Noah's talking about. And then we had, what, the Indian one eating... Um, well, yeah, and then... But it, it stood out for me too. And it, it is incredibly racist, like whether it was implied or not. Like we, it we, was implied. It like... was implied. We have, we have the black angel of death eating a banana. A plate of bananas. And she's also wearing 
like uh, she's wearing some sort of fur. Like, did you notice that as well? Like, yeah, it's. <laughs> I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, and normally, but the, the, you cannot defend this one bit. No, no, <laughs> it's crazy. I couldn't I believe they did that. Like, we don't see what every girl is eating, so it is possible that somebody just wasn't thinking. But then you have to ask yourself. Who, even if they have an allergy to it, who's going to sit there and eat a plate of bananas for dinner? You know, mm. like this this sophisticated dinner at 7 o'clock and people have all their different foods and she's just eating a plate of bananas. So when you mentioned it, I was doubtful. And usually when there are things like this, I give people the benefit of the doubt. But I think more than anything, this was probably something where some random stagehand or prop guy, they're like, okay, just come up with foods for all of these people. And I don't think this was <laughs> anything that was intentional on Peter Hunter broccoli and saltzman's part but it is something that really makes you question once it's pointed out to you and it's inco- is it comfortable to watch yeah they're really channeling the inner fleming there aren't they yeah um anyway so anyway. <laughs> moving on um we then get uh bond um meeting blofeld uh am i'm not i'm not missing the whole sneaking into rooms but am i no we get to see British Blofeld. Um, his accent's changed as well. Um, his voice has dropped a couple octaves. Yes. He's got that lazy eye got fix. Some <laughs> so he's had a lot of work done, Blofeld. But, um, you know, we get this whole scene. Um, I mean, what do we think of, of Lazenby, um, Lazenby Bond um, going up against Telly uh, Savalas. Is that how he say his last Savalas. name? Savalas. Savalas uh, Blofeld or Blochamp. I really like Telly Savalas and I kind of flip-flop on him because I did see this before You Only Live Twice. Um, so in a way, I was always kind of partial to Telly Savalas. But after watching You Only Live Twice, as much as I love Telly Savalas, I wish that we had had a way to get Donald Pleasance in here and I don't necessarily think that Pleasance could have pulled off this character the same way. Uh, there are some questionable things. Like, Telly Savalas is not nearly as menacing as Donald Pleasance was. But again, there's just this real natural chemistry that Lazenby seems to have with a lot of these actors. And I think the credit has to go to how experienced they got for these actors. Because, like, Diana Rigg, we talked about how she was a big deal. Telly Savalas was pretty famous at this point, too. And they hadn't really been in the habit of hiring known actors, maybe not like world famous, but known actors at the time doing the Bond movies. So I really like the, the way he plays it, but I find him more interesting later on when we know he's Blofeld than here when he's posing as this boring allergy doctor. One of the reasons I've heard that they got rid of Donald, uh, obviously because of the disguise type thing, but also mm-hmm. that it was too much of a physical role for Donald Pleasance. And that's one thing I don't like about this film. Like, Blofeld, for me, is not a character who goes skiing. Like, he gets his minions to do that. He's not the one on the skis, and that kind of annoys me. I think Donald would have been a better in this role, and I think he's an amazing Blofeld. In saying that, I think Telly does do a fairly good job having to live up to what we've seen in the past. He puts his own spin on it while still retaining some of the Blofeld qualities and if we had to do the Blofeld rankings of uh, Donald Pleasance, uh, Telly Savalas, Anthony Dawson, and Charles Gray, he would definitely be second for me. Like, yeah. it's not, I don't dislike him, but 
He is no Donald Pleasance, in my opinion, but I think he does a fine job at the role, though. I agree. I think he's number two um, <laughs> when it comes to Blofeld. Um, but sorry, uh, boring allergy doctor. Uh, blue shot. Count his blue shot. I love it. How Which I, I just met a little... Uh, here, I think they should have used the name Shatterhand for his identity, which is the name that he goes by in the Only Live Twice book as Dr. Shatterhand. I think that would have been better than Blowsharp. But anyway, just shouldn't a nod that, shouldn't that be Dr. No Shatterhand? Like, shouldn't that be his Dr. No Shatter? Or may, may, maybe they like as because he has his hands that can sh- never mind. He's uh, making a joke about his hands. Hand. Isn't it funny? The man's disabled. <laughs> 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 yes. All right. We've touched on racism now. I'm bagging up people with uh, disabilities. Okay. So move on, Noah. Would be funny if that was. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm blank on the actor's name now. Yes, that guy. Uh, oh, Dr. No. Come on. You mean Dr. No from Dr. No? <laughs> yeah, no, Dr. No from no. Die Another Day. Oh, what's his name? Was the guy from Dr. No? He played the villain. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. No? Oh, Do you ask the actor's name? Yes. Oh, I thought you were talking about, like, as in Dr. No. As in that's his name in the movie, is Dr. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm blanking on his name. The actor's Joseph name Weisman. is Joseph Wiseman. Yeah. <laughs> that was worth been. five minutes of our time. Ladies yeah, and gentlemen, joke... welcome to the most in-depth and uh, intelligent James Bond podcast on the internet. The joke would have been, imagine if Joseph Wiseman really had claw hands, but it fell flat when I couldn't even remember his freaking name. Uh, yeah. Moving on. Oh, Thanks. right. Uh, <laughs> sincere apology to Joseph Wiseman and his family. Um, <laughs> apology to people listening to this. Anyway, so we, we tick off a couple of uh, notches on the Bond kiss kiss count here. Um, we get Bond looking up his kilt <laughs> at the number eight. Um, and he's escaped from the, the, the room. Like, Bond gets electrocuted. Um, and then he manages to get his say, uh, I've written here, horny Bond sexy saxophone. Because uh, we get um, and all um, we have Ruby wanting to see is the pictures. Why does Bob not want the lights turned on in both of his little encounters here? Is that because it's going to alert the um, the B and B people? Maybe Bond just likes it with the lights down. Maybe. Um, we know he likes it with his clothes on so far, so maybe it's the clothes <laughs> on lights down. Poor old Ruby has an allergy to chickens. Um, but he manages to put his cock in her. Oh, no, I couldn't oh. resist. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, it's a chicken. She's almost secured. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like the, uh, the whole... No, can you tell us more about that Joseph Wiseman guy? <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. kid's is called a bad joke. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, we is this where we get the hypnotism for the first time? You, yeah. I taught you to love chickens, their flesh, <laughs> their voice. Like what? Love gluten. <laughs> you love gluten-free cheese. I love that they talk about this psycholo- psych- psychological um, like testing, and then really at the end of the day, it's just Blofeld over a speaker saying, "Love this, <laughs> love uh, chicken." Em- M needs to learn that technique for money, Penny. You will love me. <laughs> you will go to Kentucky with Felix <laughs> and eat KFC. <laughs> <laughs> like, Does anybody like, 
wonder um, when this whole thing's over and done with, you know, six months later, Bond's just sitting at home one night. And all of a sudden, he's just like, I love chicken. I love bananas. I want more of them. <laughs> oh, so anyway, he gets, he gets laid. Um, then he goes back oh, to his room. Uh, we didn't mention Hilly. Just call me Hilly. Um, Hilly. Uh, we then... Yeah, that... That's, oh, that's, yeah. Then we, we also get Bond again not checking his hotel room because, oh, lo and behold, there's somebody else in the room um, after he's staring. I love it when he's in the mirror. Hilly, you old dog. Oh, no, you old <laughs> devil. Sorry, you old devil. Um, <laughs> then we get another lady, another angel of death, another light not being turned on, and another root. So, <laughs> yes. Um, before we talk about all these scenes, I just want to get the opinion from you two on Ruby. Uh, do you find Ruby annoying or do you find Ruby entertaining? Annoying. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with Ben on this one. Annoying. I wasn't a huge fan of her. See, the, when I first saw this movie, for the first couple times I saw it, I thought Ruby was so annoying. And now, like, I laugh every time Ruby's on. I think that you don't see characters that are this entertaining and kind of quirky um especially with the bond girls from this point on we start to see more quirky bond girls but i think ruby's a really fun character i like a lot of the little things like the thing she did the look she's giving him as she's eating the chicken um (laughs) you know just her whole personality i think that she really brightens up this whole sequence because i hate to say this but this is where lazenby really kind of crashes for me in this part because He's just not, I don't know if it's that he's not believable as this womanizer. We've already said he's really good as the boyfriend or potential husband guy. But I think that in a way, it's just that you can buy Sean Connery as this guy that just messes around with women. And it's acceptable because he's Sean Connery, whereas it comes across a little sleazy with Lazenby. And I was watching this with my wife, and it was only five minutes into the movie. She said, you want to know the differences between this guy and Connery? She says Connery is a little bit naughty, whereas this guy, you kind of laugh if he's trying to be naughty. And I think this that's where it just doesn't work for him. Do you not get worried when your wife says things like that? Like, <laughs> No. What, what do you think of me then, sweetie? Uh... <laughs> well, I don't know. I look in the mirror and I see Sean Connery every day. Like, <laughs> Colin, put this kilt on. <laughs> you love kilts. You will that's cherish kilts. Call me hilly. <laughs> this never happened to the other fellow. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, did you have anything to add? Yep. No, no, right? We're good. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I just, I kind of find Ruby to be a poor woman's Tiffany case, really. Um, oh, don't bring up. See, I'm gonna have a lot to say on Tiffany case, and then yeah, next there's one, gonna be I'll, a debate I'll, 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 next I'll, I'll, film. That's for sure. Oh. This we're mainly in agreement. This one, next film, there's gonna be a huge debate. Um, Glad I'm not but, hosting that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's some there's some fun moments, but I don't have too much to add. It's all kind of blends in here. Uh, I've written here, um, Hilly's gay why show up fucks her. Um, <laughs> well, like both both Ruby and Random Girl in room have both said, "Oh, I hear you don't like girls." Yet both yeah. times he's all like, "Oh, maybe for a so basically these girls are like Bond, like you know Bond turning pussy galore into a straight woman." Yes, I know she wasn't really a lesbian, but like both these women have managed to turn gay Bond into straight Bond. <laughs> I just imagine uh, Hillary Bray watching this going, "I'm not gay." 
What is <laughs> he's acting as me and telling everyone I'm gay. Is that ever explained? Like, why is it implied that he's gay? Nobody told Because his name George is Hillary, and that would never be a boy's name. Yeah, exactly, right, Brad? <laughs> but, like, poor George Baker, nobody told him when they saw this movie. They're like, the character was never meant to be gay, but... Man, when that George Baker came on screen, there was only one thing we could think of. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. So we're, we're touching on a lot of issues in this uh, podcast. Um, anyway, uh, we just quickly mentioned random blonde uh, ally is back um, trying to get to the restaurant. But I've seen it advertised. <laughs> Blonde's one night stands coming back for him. <laughs> Hello, I've seen it advertised. How can I get to the top? No, it's closed. But it's a restaurant. It's there. Closed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this seems to be what the hell. Um, but I have to say, we've already touched on this film being so good. We've got George Lazenby. We've got Underneath the Mango Tree. What makes this movie even more perfect is we have curling. We have <laughs> curling in a James Bond there you film. Go, you're Colin, how do you feel as a Canadian? Does, I mean, if they had ice hockey in the background, you would have been home. This, this is Station yeah. C. That's <laughs> right. This is how they pass the time at Station C. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, watching Bond throw the curling rock, I always question. I'm like, is that him playing Hillary Bray when he falls around like a bumbling idiot? Or would Bond be bad at curling? Because I don't know, like. <laughs> I'm really hoping it's Hillary Bray because if Bond can't throw a curling rock, then he's no longer my hero. <laughs> I just want to quickly point out before, Noah, you talk about the brilliance of curling. This is the only official documented piece of film in the history of the world that has an Australian competing in curling. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, I have near nothing to add, but I will point out at this point, another one of my criticisms with this film is there's too much... Um, of a gap with no Tracy. I wish we had some clips of Tracy doing some stuff because it's kind of like Tracy at the start and Tracy at the end and there's a huge chunk in the middle and I think that's a negative for this film. I have to disagree with you because, again, it goes back to what I was saying about Lazenby just not being as believable and that it comes across sleazy with him sleeping around with all these girls. Because this is a love story and because we established Bond and Tracy having this connection before and after... I think having Tracy in this section of the movie would remind the audience that Bond is sleazy cheating and keeping her, yeah, well, her out of it. Yeah, cheating on her because that, yeah, but, but actually again, this like, night he will propose to her. As an audience member, you can forget that because it happens half an hour later and there's so much that happens before then. So I think for this movie, it the only way to do it was to keep Tracy out because otherwise Bond looks too sleazy by the end and you don't want him to end up with Tracy. So for the sake of this love story, it had to happen um, this way. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Colin. I mean, I, well, I agree with both of you because I was thinking, like, hey, we haven't seen Tracy in a while, but it makes sense how Colin explained that because, yeah, no, exactly as you said too, like Bond's cheating um, on Tracy. Um, I think this whole situation with Bond and these women and they're all sort of fight. I think this is just the 1969 version of The Bachelor. Like, you've got all these women, like, after one man, and Bond's, like, like secretly going to the rooms at night and porking them. Um, so, and we... Wait, did one of them have an allergy? Well, <laughs> we, he's trying to get the pork into her as you well. Love... That's what happens. Like, there's one of the, the odd cassettes that accidentally got mixed in one night where Blofeld was saying to all the women, you love pork. <laughs> You want more? <laughs> uh, so anyway, we get to see Bond, of course, thinking he's going back to uh, give Ruby a bit more of that uh, chicken. Um, and he enters the room. Ruby, it's me. It's it's Ely. 
<laughs> one of the this is where you need a Mary screen. <laughs> and ah! when he pulls the covers over. Bunt, who can't say anything without sounding like Arnold Schwarzenegger, could do a perfect Ruby giggle. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, no, Bond, it's me. I told you, I'll be back. Uh, <laughs> and we get slow-mo Bond after getting hit in the head, and we get kind of like a yeah, weird little Christmassy tree fading in and out, and then we get <laughs> Mary. A weird little Christmassy tree. Well, it's, a, it's a tree that's from Christmas, and we get Mary yeah. X- Mary, I've written Mary Xmas, Merry Christmas 007, I'm Hillary. No, you're Bond. <laughs> I wanted him to just really be a character. No, I'm Hillary. Who's this Bond? I like men. <laughs> I'm Bray. Hillary Bray. Sir Hillary Bray. No, you're not your Bond. I'm not. Hillary Gay? No, Hillary Bray. <laughs> he just starts slipping into his past ones. He's like, I'm Somerset. I mean Fisher. I mean Bray. <laughs> but anyway, so we get, we finally. You need, uh, you need, we really need to get smart there. Would you believe David Somerset? <laughs> <laughs> Missed it by that much. Um, so anyway, we get the whole, the first proper exchange between Blofeld and Bond. Oh, now he recognises him. Good on you, Ernst. Um, and we hear, uh, of course, um, the plan. You know, how convenient. Oh, I've just found out you're James Bond. I'll tell you what I'm really up to and lock you in a room with giant gears. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess um, before we get to the ski chase because uh, obviously that is very epic and I think that needs to be discussed by itself. We kind of just have this whole scene from the Bond versus Blofeld through to the gears, um, the presence and all this lead up to the ski chase I guess we can cover in this section. Um, I I still question why he gets locked into a room. Like what, what was he anticipating? That Bond's going to trip and get crushed? Like there were plenty of spaces for him to stay out of the way of the gears. Um, and then we also get the whole present scene when they drink the eggnog and they get passed out because we're hearing, of course, that this is where, uh, the angels of death are going to be going around spreading their death, um, and leading up to one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, first I want to point out what could be a plot hole, uh, but could just be explained by how good his accent is. He worked a long time on this Hillary Bray accent because it was September when he threw the knife at... Uh, Draco's calendar, and he spent tr- two weeks with Tracy, and now it's Christmas. <laughs> so he spent a long time studying Bray's. Maybe he did learn a few things about uh, uh, Bray's aller- allergies to women. Um, th- the scene with Blofeld is so good here, and it does not meet up to You Only Live Twice. It's funny because I was going through You Only Live Twice trying to put together some clips for the the, the last episode we did. And it's amazing to me how many of Donald Pleasance's lines are just complete exposition, like open the crater or, or uh, you know, Mr. Osato, uh, is this Mr. Bond? You know, it, he didn't really have a lot to say. And Telly Savalas has a really good speech here. And I think he carries it so well. Um, I love the the little Christmassy tree thingy <laughs> there. And I love that there's a little Christmassy tree presence uh, in the next scene. I have to say, this whole hypnotic thing, it sounds really scary to me. Like, I don't want to fall asleep halfway through this movie and wake up in the middle of the night hearing <laughs> that sound effect. And it, it, This is sometimes criticized as not having enough of uh, a danger level compared to past Bond movies, but 
I think this is a really good plan. I like the idea that he's, you know, going to poison livestock and plant life and everything, and that he's hypnotizing these girls. I mean, that whole scene holds together well. Not really much to say on the getting locked in a room. I mean, he kind of just got locked in a room, and the best stuff would come after that. I I really enjoyed the conversation too, and it's much longer than you only twice, which is good. But I was expecting like. Um, you only live twice, Hillary Bree. Like, <laughs> that should have been. Um, so, I enjoy it again. Like, oh, you're James Bond. That annoys me. They should have done that better. Um, it's a random thing to lock him into that room, but it's cool though. And I really love the escape down the cables and onto the car, um, cable car. That was really cool. Um, but, yeah, I think this is probably Telly Savalas' shining moment as Blofeld, I would say. We should also mention, um, in a very sad, somber note, um, the death of Sean Campbell. Um, <laughs> we're all... Although that's quite a good scene, though. Like, it's quite free. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, we didn't sort of mention before uh, poor old Sean getting headstrong about, they're my things! I, <laughs> I will report you to the authorities! <laughs> like, he's, he's very, um, you know, possessive of his uh, climbing equipment. Um, I have a question for you two before we move sure. on. Obviously, we should assume that they knew he was Bond, but when I'm watching this movie, I'm wondering to myself, does Bond know he's Blofeld up until this scene, or is it still just a su- suspicion? Because he's going off as a suspicion the whole time. And, you know, he says, well, obviously, I mean, this is the French word for Blofeld, and, you know, he's... Uh, he's evil, he's hypnotizing these girls. Up until this point, do you think he knows it's Blofeld, or does he wait until he's basically confronting him before he figures I'd it out? I'd always assumed that he knew, like when he met um, yeah. Random Allergy Doctor. Um, I just assumed that he knew it was Blofeld, but he was just obviously still playing up to his character. I, I assumed that too. Um, and I should also mention, before we get to the ski, because that's really the next big moment, um... I don't believe Ken Adam worked on this one. I'm not sure no. if you can confirm that. No, he didn't. But I still think that underground, like, and they they use it in the final battle too, that Blofeld's kind of ice palace, I guess. I don't hey. want to say that because that will bring it to another film. <laughs> but that is an amazing set. That was yeah. my favourite set of the film. That was so cool, especially when Bond was chasing Blofeld through it at the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Colin? Do you think he knew? Well... I would think since the Operation Bedlam is basically just to track down Blofeld, he probably has suspicions, but if he knew right away, wouldn't he have gone to Sean Campbell, good friend Sean Campbell, <laughs> or just walked out of there and said, you know, this is uh, uh, Blofeld M, come get him. But then you could also just say there was the scene earlier on when during the curling where he kept coming up with these lame excuses why he needed to take the afternoon off. So maybe he knew before then. And him saying, well, I need the afternoon or maybe I could travel down there because he was looking to make contact. So it's possible one way or the other. And I thought, too, because he kept trying to get Blofeld or Bouchamp out of there. Like, he kept like, oh, you should come with me here. You should come with me here. Like, that to me was like, you know, creepy, pervy Bond um, wanting to to get him arrested. and Taking him all and it is funny. Like a different country. We talked about Lazy Tracy, but, I mean, Lazy Bray here... He, he's like, oh, I was thinking about taking the afternoon off. And it's like, well, you just had the morning off. Like, <laughs> we're compensating you, you know, very handsomely for this, Mr. Bray. You just say you're taking the day off, you lazy prick. <laughs> um, so uh, we then get into uh, one of the best scenes in the movie. 
uh, the first ski chase. But, um, of course, we get uh, this whole epic, amazing nighttime ski chase, the first ski chase in Bond history. And we get a, plenty of these, of course, in the future. But, um, look, I, I just want to throw to Colin here. You love this movie. You love uh, this um, this whole film. It's the same as the movie, Ben. Um, but what do you think of this ski chase? <laughs> I said during You Only Live Twice, as much as I dislike a lot of that movie, that everything's forgiven once you're in the volcano set. And that's how I feel about this. If nothing else in this movie had worked, this ski chase is incredible. If anybody has a chance, like watch all the documentaries on the DVDs and the Blu-ray because they show how they filmed this. And it's crazy. Like they could have made a movie just on how they filmed this. They basically did like a 15 minute long documentary. It's insane how they filmed all this skiing stuff. I mean, they had people, you know, uh, basically hanging uh, from cables in the air just to film the aerial stuff. And the ski sequence itself, I mean, the stunts performed, this is basically where big stunts and Bond movies started. And from this point on, every movie had to have something big. Unlike a lot of the other later movies where you have a car flip or you have, you know, uh, running across uh, alligators. I mean, this is about five, ten minutes of nonstop stunts here. And the moment where he almost goes over the cliff, I mean, I still love that visual to this day. It's incredible. Uh, so much credit has to go to the stunt team on this one and and how they film this for real too. I mean, they didn't cheap out on this with or maybe a couple of little green screen shots, but overall, I mean, this entire sequence just makes the whole movie. It's like the greatest sequence we'd ever seen in Bond at this point. Yeah, the, the green screen bits uh, take you out of it a bit, but they can easily be forgiven. Um, I just love, like, this is the first snow Bond Never a bad snow uh, bomb film. Maybe die another day. Um, but it's always good when you're in the snow. And making it nighttime was even all that more. It was so atmospheric. And the ski chase is just too damn awesome. Like like thugs on skis with machine guns. That's amazing. Um, and the use of the the main theme here is just mm. so good. Like they easily could have used the Bond theme, but I'm so glad they went with the Majesty theme here because it just works so well. Um, I was waiting for that guy to shoot out with a Union Jack parachute when he fell off the cliff, <laughs> but that never happened. Um, a Swiss Swiss parachute with Olympic yeah. rings. <laughs> the Olympic ring parachute. <laughs> B&B parachute. I'm a Swiss um, Olympian! We're always prepared! <laughs> but yeah, um, this was directed by John Glenn, I'm pretty sure, who will go The astronaut. <laughs> no, who <laughs> will go on to direct a fair few of the films? Um, oh, whole decade of movies. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, the, you can hardly any bad things to say about this sequence, and it's just too perfect. Nighttime, great theme, great stunts, great everything. It's not really Lazenby here, but Lazenby's still great, even if it's a stunt double, not Bob Simmons, but. Just so much good here. I love it. Can't wait for the snow, Inspector. And how good was that one in Die Another Day? Like, I mean, so underrated, um, except for the bit where there's surfing involved. But anyway, um, I I do like the fact that when it comes to our kiss, kiss, bang, bang count, that you would, I mean, you sort of assume in any sequence like this, there's going to be like 50 henchmen getting killed. We only get two. Am I correct in, mm-hmm. in telling that? We only get the two? Yeah. Yep. So, and then well, I've counted three. But... Oh, of course you I have. <laughs> well, um, we may as well discuss this now. 
when we did Doctor No, the three blind mice, Ben, you kind of alluded to that that was just reckless driving, that it didn't count for them. Um, the guy who gets smacked into the tree, I count as because Bond inadvertently led that to him, kind of like the three blind mice, but I'm happy to count too. Yeah, I didn't count that one because it wasn't really in Bond's hands. Plus, I don't know. I think the other two are much clearer kills. So, the, yeah. I will quickly say, just like it was uh, before, this is the only documented Australian uh, skiing and winning a skiing race. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should get bronze or something like that. But um, anyway, uh, so we we get into town. We should mention, yeah, you said before now about Blofeld uh, skiing. <laughs> Like, Blofeld puts on his little cap thing, and I thought it was just, well, he's bald already. Like, what? It made no difference. Um, so we get back into town. Um, I've written Bond and the Bells. Uh, <laughs> I love how the fact that nobody in the town has heard these gunshots as they're coming down the, uh, yeah. the mountain. The, the, the funniest moment of this. I could not stop laughing because I'm picturing Noah uh, in this one scene. Bond's going through the crowd and we get the giant polar bear with a flash and we get Bond going, ah! And I'm picturing Noah going, Mary's going, ah! Like, <laughs> as much as it's silly, I love the claustrophobia here in this scene. Well, it really, like, the whole, the whole situation, like, shakes the shit out of Bond because we then get a shot of him sitting down at the side of the ice cream looking like he's just seen the the most scariest thing in the world, the poor guy. And then Tracy finally, there's Tracy, she's back, sits down. And then Bond has like the saddest way of saying his next line, there were men trying to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) He's terrified of that fucking bear. (laughs) This scene works on so many levels though. I mean, as as much as you can look at it and laugh at it, everything about it still works. I mean, the, the fast cutting style, the handheld frantic cameras, and I also love the fact that Lazenby plays this kind of scared and very uh, exhausted, I think. And that's another one of the things that I don't think Connery could have done. One of my complaints in You Only Live Twice is that Connery's in a fight and he doesn't even seem to break a sweater and care because uh, he didn't care about anything during filming. This whole scene with Lazenby just looking defeated and you know terrified and looking over his shoulder, I mean, it, it adds to the tension. And that's something that we don't get from most Bonds. Uh, Great uh, reveal for Tracy. Again, she's, we talked about how she's been gone from the movie for a long time. Just a slow pan off on her great reveal. For me, the funniest part, though, was the first thing she says to him, where she's like, uh, you're in trouble. What is it? And he just says, like, the, he's like, there's people after me. <laughs> he doesn't even say, there's people after me. <laughs> like, Does this happen often? Is it first? Does, does, does Tracy know who he is? Like, have we, Is that ever established that she knows he's a spy? I don't think she knows he's a spy. I think that she figures he has some association to her dad, so she would know he'd be involved in stuff like this, but maybe not as a spy. I think, yeah, I said the claustrophobia here is so great. I love love it when things happen with big crowds. As you mentioned, um, there's the ice rink and so many people. Um, I wanted the polar bear person to take off the polar bear hat and it's like dink or someone. Sylvia, um, you <laughs> bastard. Sylvia. Yeah. Someone's been following him through the entire film. Um, that would have been a good twist. Um, and this, uh, as I think Colin mentioned, but it, this film really kicks into overdrive when you get to the ski chase. Cause 
I may as well mention this now, the ski chase. Then we've got this polar bear ah! scene. <laughs> and then straight after that, we've got an awesome car chase, which is just epic. And then straight after that, we have another ski chase. And then we've got the big climax. It's just amazing in this, um, this scene. But, uh, yeah, I, I just love nighttime. And it's, I don't have too much more to add to it, but I think the car chase is amazing. And I love Bumped in here as well. Yeah, I, I mean, as much as I was laughing at the polar bear, I do love this scene and exactly when it leads into the car chase, you know, getting to the phone box and then he's getting shot at and it's like, James! And like the whole situation. I love how James won't stop kissing Tracy as she's driving. Um, <laughs> like, come on, man, you've just gotten laid twice the previous night and you're still horny. Um, but I, I love the car race sequence. Like, we get yeah. Bond and Tracy in a car race. Like, how awesome is that? Um, Bitty Swiss melts. Oh, it's so good. And I love the drivers in this Swiss race. Like, they don't give a shit. They're tough as nail drivers. Like, they're getting shot at and they're still holding their own against them all. Um, just a, a quick side note. <laughs> yeah. Motor racing. Tough in the Swiss races. Well, they? well, just quickly, motor racing is completely illegal in Switzerland. Um, oh. uh, there was a, a big motor, uh, a big crash in a race and killed a lot of people in the crowd. I mean, we nearly saw that in this race. I don't think this is the reason why. <laughs> Was this, um, was this the crash during the filming? Yes, of this yes. Uh, yeah, but in, in all seriousness, motor racing is illegal in Switzerland. Uh, they're so neutral it's with everything, the Swiss. In the, up in the mountains. Yeah, but I, like, I mean, this for the kill count, like, as soon as that car rolled over and blew up, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to have to rewind. How many were in the car? But then, of course, they all run out. And I'm like, oh, thank God, I don't have to <laughs> count that one. But um, Bearing theme in this film. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, it all leads uh, into uh, the blizzard. They go into the barn. We get a string of one liners from both uh, Bond and Tracy um, and then we get this uh, lovely little scene of them falling asleep and uh, a very famous and uh, moment that obviously leads right to the end, James Bond proposes, the only time that we will we'll essentially see him uh, declaring his love and that he's uh, proposing Colin. Yeah, the, the car chase is amazing and I talked much earlier on about how Peter Hunt chose to film these famous locations like M's office, Money Penny's office, just from different angles and show us a little bit more that we've never seen before. He films these action scenes different. Like this doesn't look like any other car chase we've seen before or after in Bond. And it's not that it's hard to follow. Like it's it's not so fast that you can't follow it. There's so much going on here. The thing that I like more than anything is how Tracy's character really surprises you throughout this movie. Hmm. It starts out and you think that she's kind of this uh, broken down woman. She's obviously has some problems, maybe some mental issues. And, you know, then there's the thing where she doesn't trust Bond, but then she falls in love with Bond. You get totally surprised here where she's not this girl who's, you know, on the run and has to have her dad's henchman. She's in command of this. And, Tilly's the worst driver ever. I'm going to argue that Tracy is a better driver than Bond. Like, look what she did in this car chase. And she's not doing it one-handed like Aki was, but it's still impressive. <laughs> she gets to be, like, a real uh, impressive physical counterpart to Bond. And because Diana Rigg is so elegant in this movie and because so much of the story is a love story... It's hard even for me, having seen this so many times, to I, I forget that she is she really holds her own between this and the ski chase and everything else. Um, I love the one li- one liner. I, I criticize Lazenby for his one liner delivery. The one where he says to her, "Oh, what was it? They're in the car, and he's um, 
what is it? I have, I have the notes here. Give me a second. Was that the um, one where he says about that he should have booked ahead or something like that? Or? No, it says, you have sharp eyes and beautiful earlobes. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. an awesome liner but it's the only time in the whole movie where he delivered one of those and you really bought it. So, uh, great stuff. And again, the blizzard is just a different environment. Like Noah said, being in snow, you take for granted that you hadn't seen that in a Bond movie at this point. The barn scene's fantastic. This is, I'm already going to say, I'm hoping that this can land in our Hall of Fame because Bond's proposal with Tracy here, I mean, it's so iconic because it's not a side of Bond you ever see outside of maybe Casino Royale. You don't see Bond's guard down at any point, and he's so believable here, and I don't think, even if Sean Connery could have pulled this off, I think with five movies behind him of just kind of being this witty, quirky guy, you know, womanizer, it wouldn't have been believable. And having Lazenby in here, he really sells this. I, Even as much as I dislike some of Lazenby early on, like the first few times I watched this, like he nails this scene. Yeah, we were grasping at straws for uh, Hall of Fame in the past two films. We won't be doing this for this uh, film. Um, as I said, the atmosphere, I love the blizzard, and this could possibly be the greatest day slash night in Bond history, and that's probably a funny thing to say. We don't really think of, like, what's the greatest day in Bond, but <laughs> this December could be December the third. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much going on here. I love the proposal. I love when he knocks, like, I don't know what it is, like the extra level, I guess you call it, in the barn, and she rolls down. That's great. Um, and, yeah, Lazenby totally pulls off, like, the romance scenes, which I'm not sure Connery could do as well. And I love this proposal scene. It's just brilliant. And um, what follows it is just more greatness. This film is really great after this. There's the thing, too, we should mention, of course, was, I mean, with the proposal comes the words, I love you, which... Um, and it wasn't like Sean Connery's, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Kissy yeah. shows up. Yeah. <laughs> he, you're just expecting this one scene when he says, I love you. There's about 15 Bond girls just burst through the barn doors. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you've got oh. Dink, you've got Sylvia, you've got Kissy. All voiced by Nicky Vanderzeel, of course. <laughs> um, which we have to mention is in this movie. Um, <laughs> she, I, I just, I've been asking the question in our chat here. Um, Draco's female, Draco's female assistant, is it Olympe? Is that how you would say it? Um, I think so. You don't identify her by that name. <laughs> uh, Sean Campbell. Um, yeah. <laughs> is voiced by Nikki Vanderzeel, I'm reading here. So, um, yes, she is in that. Uh, she's in the film, but we did mention that earlier. So, yes, we're in the barn. Um, and then somehow all the henchmen and everything knew that they were in there. I guess they probably followed the car tracks when it um, <laughs> uh, the snow went away. And... Um, we get the skiing again another ski chase uh another fantastic one not maybe as good as a nighttime one because um it wasn't at night but this is still great as you said colin uh tracy really does hold her own uh in this chase gotta say before we get to the avalanche um we have to mention the uh he had a lot of guts moment um (laughs) by far the most gruesome death in james bond up until this point like Poor Quarrel. We thought he got the uh, worst death. Ah! Just burning to death. <laughs> Meanwhile, poor random henchman 17 gets literally pulped into the snow. They're all skiing off. Don't care. There's his blood and guts going everywhere. And we get the, he had a lot of guts line. Uh, Noah, I know you haven't read uh, the book for Iron Magic Secret Service yet, but you can kind of 
verify this that that death is kind of how Ian Fleming writes deaths. He's much yeah. more violent with how people die than the movies show. This was the one time where they took a death from the book and they included it in there. And it is kind of surprising because it's very gruesome. The, the, the guts line is just so corny. But this entire ski chase, I think the only thing that ruins it is, for one, it's not as good as the previous one we saw. Um, but this is where we, we kind of mentioned very briefly that a lot of these one-liners and these quips that Bond has seem to be dubbed last minute. And from this point on in the movie, especially around the, the escape scene in the car and here in the ski chase, every time Bond has a one-liner, you're not seeing his mouth. And you know that if it was a real line that was scripted, you would be. So I honestly have a theory that they just came into this and they're like, well, we need more humor in the movie, which explains why a lot of the one-liners are so bad and why the delivery is off because it really wasn't meant to be there in the first place. This it's, avalanche, though, like, how did they film the avalanche? Yeah, I, I wrote down here that it looks amazing. I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I'm guessing that they went up into the hills and started an <laughs> avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> like, they just did it and then edited it together. I don't know. That's, it's a very good point. I, I just add on the gut scene, I did take a lot of note on that one. Like, that's... Stood out a lot. Um, this is an occasion where I can't defend Lesnarby at all. Like, I think he's great in some bits. He's terrible at the one-liners. But this Connery, sorry, this guy had a lot of guts. And then Lesnarby, he had a lot of guts. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how he delivered it. It was like god awful. Like Lesnarby can do some stuff. He can't do one-liners. That was like, oh really? I won't hear it. Lesnarby can do anything. <laughs> when he delivered no, that, I, I wrote in my notes, though, that that must have been the one moment where Tracy was kind of rolling her eyes. Like, is this the guy I'm going to marry? Like, how yeah, did I really <laughs> say yes to him? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the Avalanche is amazing to watch, though. And we see uh, a, a lovely, as always, villain trope of, um, oh, well, even 007 couldn't just survive that. Um, like seriously, <laughs> villains. Like just as soon they're as they're looking at Tracy rolling around at this moment, she was right next to him. So what is the assumption that Bond didn't survive? Because women are lighter and would be at the top where men are heavier, so would sink more. Like exactly, I don't know. Um, and they don't check. Like no, don't check. Oh well, he was dead. So anyway, they kidnap Tracy. Um, which is it ever explained why they have to kidnap Tracy? Uh, well, they didn't kidnap her in the book that wasn't part of it. So I think they just needed to include her on the end of the movie. <laughs> it really doesn't, because they assume Bond's dead. Like, if they kidnapped her and they're going to call him up, like, an hour later and they're like, hey, Bond, we have your girlfriend or your fiancé. You know, you you better let us destroy the world, otherwise we're going to kill her. I don't know. Yeah. But there is nothing like that. So they assume he's dead. There's no reason to have her. Because, like, at the end of the day, like, they're ringing up, like, the British government, like, oh, we'll release these angels of death with all this, and we'll kill Tracy, who just happens to be the daughter of the next evil guys after us. Like, I'm sure M and the Prime Minister are going to be like, mm, we don't There's give a, a really, killer. really weird issue with timing here, because they make it seem like it's a few hours, but Bond's had to fly back to London, <laughs> arrange all this stuff, fly back to Switzerland, uh, yeah, Switzerland, and like, what? how long? Surely that takes at least a week or a few days to organise all this, 
and Tracy's just there in the room. It makes it look like it's an hour or two. Yes. And she's like pleasantly okay at the time. Like, you know, it's like she's tied up or anything. She's just laying around chilling with um, Blochamp. So, you know, maybe there's something going on there. Maybe she was cheating on Bond too. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, so we get back to M's office and once again we see the absolute, uh, <laughs> the the amazement of the British government. The British who, government. <laughs> who, again, like uh, we went over this, um, what, that was it back in... Uh, Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt, thank you. Um, where, if this was an American movie, we should not negotiate with terrorists. It's it's all the demands. The British just roll over. Hey, well, we better give him all these demands. Um, we learn that his demands are, of course, that he wants amnesty for all his crimes gone and official recognition of his title. Now, look, if you, you're holding the world to ransom and this is all you're asking, like... Just well. call me Blochamp, please. <laughs> it's officially on paper. I'll kill you all in the world if you don't. Oh, please. Um, yeah. But I do have to... I, I love this whole situation with M. Like, yeah, oh, we're just going to give in to his demands. And James Bond is like the most obvious thing ever. Like, well, can't we just destroy his hideout? <laughs> no, that won't work. Well, yes, it will. But all the women will still do it. No, because they have to listen to him at the... Like, <laughs> M, listen to me. This would No, it won't. That's final. He's too busy thinking about money, Penny. It's like the most obvious thing in the world. That it's not like Bond going rogue. It's a great rogue. scene, though, between it Bond is. and him. It is, but there's, like... Oh. There's a really hilarious episode of The Simpsons that parodies James Bond, which is more a parody of You Only Live Twice, where Homer goes to work for Mr. Scorpio at like uh, yes. this, this rival power plant. I remember that. And there's this hilarious moment in there where he's holding the world ransom and he's like, just to show you that I'm serious, I am blowing up the 13th Street Bridge. And then you, you hear like the, the United Nations Council hear a bridge collapse in the background. And they're like, well, that shows he's serious. I guess we have to give into his demands. And one guy says, maybe it collapsed on his own. Like, <laughs> you, you always, uh, we can't take that chance. You always say that. Just this once, I want to take a chance. Why can't we ever take a chance? <laughs> and I basically bond in this scene. <laughs> but it, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's exactly like you said. I, I really was struggling with this plot hole because, yeah, just drop a bomb on it. <laughs> There's no reason not to. And why does Blofeld want this title? Like, is this a real title or was he posing as Blochamp? Because they even mentioned early in the movie, like, he could just be making this up. Like, he cut off his own earlobe. So he's clearly not that entitled to his. I want you to acknowledge that I am Count de Blochamp. For what purpose? Is that going to help you, like, have more authority when you rule the world? Like, we don't want to listen to some guy with a crazy cat scratch on his eye, but we'll listen to a count. <laughs> Oh, I also have to say, too, that um, I love it when Bond gets told no, the one person that he has to go to is the leader of the second biggest criminal organisation in the world. <laughs> like, oh, this guy will help to take over again the number one. Oh, I'm just helping him become the number one criminal organisation. Well, that should really be noted because this upcoming scene, this is pretty much Spectre versus Quantum. Hmm. Like, hmm. we've been talking about that potential. That's what this is. It's the biggest criminal organisation versus the second biggest criminal organisation. So maybe Draco's organisation is quantum. Who knows? Can I just quickly, uh, Noah, before you put... Uh, well, I mean, we'll go into this the last bit because I don't know if you had anything to add. But why doesn't Bond call Felix? 
Like, why doesn't he try the Americans yeah. next? Like, wouldn't that well, be the logical choice? I don't have too much to add on that scene, but just on what you just said, why wasn't Felix at the freaking wedding? <laughs> yes. Surely they could have got a random actor to cameo for one scene. <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. Where's Felix? Oh, I, I love that they turn up to the wedding, but no one turns up to Bond's funeral. Well, well Bond was yeah, at exactly. Felix's wedding, wasn't he? Like, so you know, why yeah. the best man? Why, why, why wasn't Felix his best man? Like, you know, Felix rings up and goes, "Hey, Bond, would it be both? You weren't at my wedding, you bastard!" <laughs> <laughs> plot hole, plot hole. We need like an emergency <laughs> siren or something like that. Well, maybe he had a case. Maybe, May- maybe he was off with Dink. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so um, we get the uh, helicopters uh, coming oh, along. Do, do we need like the ap- apocalypse now? Like, dun, 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 you know, the... oh, you've already got an epic music. I know, but just trying to add something different. Anyway, uh, we get the argument on the radio. We're a Red Cross flight. No, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. There's victims of the Italian flight. No, you're not. Yes, we are. We've got people on board. Oh, okay. That's fine then. Uh, Carry on. <laughs> Carry on. Um, and uh, then this sort of sets up this epic final battle sequence. I do love... Um, I'm probably jumping ahead here. You guys feel free to add things that I've gelled over here, but I love Tracy with a bottle with random Olympian. Um, <laughs> we get the Bond theme as they land and they they get oh. ready into it. I fucking love the shit out of George Lazenby sliding on ice and shooting yes, people. That was epic. That is like the best bit almost in this movie. Lazen- just Lazenby with a machine gun. Period. Yes, Lazen- he pulls the machine gun off so well. Oh, it's so good. But um, look, I'm not going to cover everything because I want you to each bring in your favourite moments and just talk about this final fight sequence, which. Um, I think up to this point in Bond is one of the best final sequences uh, of all time. Yeah, it's uh, the helicopter scene. It is kind of like you said, it's just back and forth. But again, like this is where Draco makes it entertaining because he plays this so much personality and sass. And he's like, you're making my passengers sick. And then it's, and then it's like, uh, um, I have members of the esteemed press here. And if they're getting tired of you, frankly, so am I. Like, he just is such a dick in this. <laughs> That's kind of what makes it interesting. So I like that this one went on for a while. And again, great shots of the helicopter. Like the aerial photography is just can't be beat in this movie. Um, why does Blofeld suddenly want to turn Tracy? I don't know. Uh, but I like the way the Diana Rig played it, where as soon as she hears her dad's voice, she starts going along with it. The ice. Oh, amazing. Like. Anybody who hates Lazenby, ask yourself, would Sean Connery have slid face first down ice shooting a machine gun? And if he did, could you have bought that? Like, it's such a great moment. The one thing that we missed for at least from now until Pierce Brosnan was a really physical bond. So it's funny because there's not a lot of kills on Bond's side in this sequence here. But the guy's carrying a machine gun and he's so physical. But like total credit, I want to give the credit here to Tracy what a fight scene she had and we know that like her work on the avengers obviously she had some action stuff she had to do but like she threw a guy into spikes <laughs> she impaled a man <laughs> from behind like that's incredible like the more that i watch this movie the more i talk about it right now i mean tracy's just going right up in my rankings like the best bond girl because this is why bond falls for her in the end because he thinks she's one girl and then all of a sudden you come out and it's like she could probably kill Bond if she wanted to. Like, Tracy's amazing. This scene is just epic is the only word to describe it. And 
Um, I love the fact that Bond's teaming up with bad guys. Th- these aren't agents or MI6 or anything. These are like criminals he's teaming up with to attack other criminals. It's just a nice spin on it. And like the first two films didn't really have a good big climax. Uh, Goldfinger was kind of the birth of it, but even then, the Fort Knox one, it was awesome, but it's not like epic. Then we had the cool underwater and then the, the amazing volcano one, and this just adds on to it. Snow Mountain, helicopters dropping in. It was just so cool. Uh, I love Bond chasing Blofeld and the machine gun runs out, drops out, gets the pistol chasing through the ice mm. palace kind of thing. Um, my only gripe with this, and Lazenby's amazing, and all the other guys, I wish it was a bit longer and I wish there was more kills and more of the bad guys fighting back. Like the underwater sequence had a lot of fights in it. But there's so much good in here. I almost wish Bond could have killed Blofeld here, but it wouldn't make sense with um, with Tracy getting killed, spoiler alert. Like, you couldn't kill Blofeld off. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't kill Blofeld off here, but how amazing would a final battle be on that ice palace? They've both run out of ammo, they've dropped their guns, and it's just a fight to the death. That would have been great, but they couldn't do that. Uh, but in here, I almost want to just rewatch this scene right now. Um, and as I said, after that ski chase, everything in this film is just amazing, and... It, it hands down goes down as one of the best final climaxes in all this. Can we imagine though, uh, if right at the end of this, you just had a scene of Sean Campbell coming to, still hanging upside down? And like, Hello, <laughs> can anybody out there hear me? And then they just blow it up. It's really cold. Like somebody help me. <laughs> like um, yeah. Why are you hanging me upside down? <laughs> it really hurts. <laughs> like nighttime when all everyone's gone and it's just here. Post like, credit like sequence. Now. Hello, yeah. you left Hello. me up here. Um, Voice echoing through the mountains. How does um how does Bond explain this to M and the government? Like when he when he comes <laughs> back, like um just quickly, M. Um, the whole Blowfields, it's it, it's fine. It's all taken care. How did that happen? We just gave him he what he wanted. He's now officially. Surely there's eight. Like what happened to the 003 who's still working on uh, Project Bedlam? Yes, like and like he's never going to get any leads. So, so like Blofeld obviously gets away, which we'll get to. But is are all he's like? Does he have amnesty? Like have the British government put through the paperwork? <laughs> Meanwhile, Bond has blown this up. <laughs> like it's all for nothing because like Bond's got yeah, to so this. So Bond's going to get in trouble. <laughs> yes, you bastard, James. We've just given him amnesty and he's, he's gotten gonna... away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bond comes back and he thinks he's going to get a pat on the back. He's like, well, Em, we blew up uh, P's Gloria and I think I killed Blofeld on a bobsled run. And they're like, oh, well, we just got the paperwork on getting this title as count. Oh. <laughs> I printed it and everything. Uh, <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I really think like Bond and Blofeld, like Bond almost turns into like a Bond villain when it comes to Blofeld. Like you think he's dead. You just, you're not actually doing the job, James. You're letting him get away to cause you more trouble in the future. Oh, anyway, but uh, we, we should, we've got to mention the bobsled race. Like the, yeah. um, oh. <laughs> the epic bobsled battle. Um, and, uh, you know, shooting in bobsleds, grenades in bobsleds, um, and it all, you know, comes to a lovely little point with um, <laughs> Blochamp branching off. 
<laughs> and a dog coming to Bond and typical Bond, the alcoholic, oh, the wanting some brandy. Uh, the whole final <laughs> bobsled sequence. If this was a more film, the dog would come back with the drink. <laughs> and he would be laying there at a spa with naked women with a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one question I had in this was, um, what is Blofeld thinking carrying grenades on his belt? <laughs> Like, these things are attached by the handle. You pull that handle out, and you're dead. So that seems like a pretty big risk to take if you want to end up ruling the world. The bobsled, I was convinced when I read the book for the first time, I kind of picked apart in my head. I knew that it apparently stuck really close to the movie. Or not that it stuck close to the movie, the other way around. Um, <laughs> but I, I assumed that this bobsled wasn't going to be a part of it. But this is how the book climaxes. And it's a great sequence, again, you're you're watching two guys basically kill each other and bash each other's heads in while you're going 100 kilometers an hour down a bobsled run. I mean, they're really taking uh, great use of the environment here that the movie's filmed in, and it's it's such a brilliant fight. And this is the one where I do understand why Telly, Telly Savalas was picked over Donald Pleasance because I don't know if Bond against Donald Pleasance in a scene <laughs> is really as believable, so... Um, the, the thing with the brandy on the end with the dog, I always didn't understand that, but I think I read somewhere once that it's a, it's a reference to a commercial that used to air on TV. Like it would be like in the eighties, if you had a, where's the beef thing or, uh, you know, something now about like the, but, the apple. But isn't it, wasn't that a thing though? That's what St. Bernard's were for. You know how they carried around the little, um, the barrel around their necks and because it's like that's what they were used for in countries like that in Europe. They would uh, help rescue people and I think they would have brandy in the little um, the barrels around their neck because it helped keep people... Well, like there was a, an actual medical thing that brandy helped. Like, I don't know... If- or it just boozed you up so you didn't notice that you were hurting after yeah, how many days stuck in a while. broken limbs and things like that. Mildred, have another brain. <laughs> no thanks, Bert. I'm a recovering alcoholic. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a good point, though, Colin. If it's from that, then cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, Noah, anything to add on the bobsled? Uh, not a lot. It's a little silly, the whole concept of it, but I think they pull it off. I love Blofeld shooting backwards, trying to get him. That's really cool, and the way it ends with the dog is fun, adds a bit of humour to it. Um, it's kind of a good climax. You need to have Blofeld get away, so they couldn't have a, a close contact thing. So it's a fun way, and I love how it's like a ticking clock. They have to get off the mountain as fast as possible, really, and everyone else is like, I love that... Draco leaves Bond, um, which is quite a, a cool thing that he has to escape. So I love, like, Escape from the Mountain. It's quite fun. I have to say, quick um, sad note again, sombre moment. Uh, rest in peace, Blofeld's cat. Um, <laughs> I, I Yeah, what did happen to the cat? He threw it away at one point, didn't he? Like, when, there was a bit when he was running away, he threw it on the table and you hear... Um, <laughs> but clearly he loves that cat. Like... <laughs> You know, it would be funny if like, you had this cat hanging on to a bobsled the whole time, like, <laughs> in this or in, a, in its own bobsled. <laughs> yes, there's three bobsleds, and like, Blofeld's like, get in, quick, get in. <laughs> Rest in peace, Blofeld Cat and Sean Campbell, the unsung heroes of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Um, 
All right, well, we get into one of the most famous uh, sequences and scenes in the history of James Bond to close it out. Uh, Bond's wedding. Um, we hear the announcement, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. James Bond. We see Q, M, and Money Penny all next to each other. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, Money Penny looking all sad, but she gets a bit smiley. No Felix. Uh, no Felix. Uh, no Sylvia. No Dink. Um, no quarrel. No, 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 <laughs> no quarrel. Corpse. So like Star Wars, and they're like a ghost in the background. Like oh, <laughs> <laughs> someone needs to re-edit. That. Overlooking, and we've got that jump, jump, head air, jump, jump. Someone please re-edit the, this sequence to be jump, jump with um with the ghosts of Quarrel and Karam in there, please, somebody. <laughs> Um, and I, I love the little exchange between because it's a serious and sad scene, gentlemen. Um, yeah, Q, Q, and um, Bond little exchange, like yeah, because I was thinking up until this point, Q was in the movie, but there was no Q Lazenby up until this. Point. Oh, it was nice. It was almost like you know the the dad figure he is. The dad. Yeah. Uh, we get the re- it's James Bond's dad. Is dead. Yep. <laughs> oh, how sad. Um, and pretty <laughs> sad actually. Um, we we get <laughs> random Swiss children dancing around. The car, um, uh, Portuguese. Are they port- We're back in Portugal, are we? They filmed this in Portugal, and apparently they, they thought it was a real wedding. All right, okay. So, well, we're back in Portugal randomly. Uh, Draco gives the million dollars, but uh, he refuses it. Good on you, Bond. Um, Creepy M, what will you do without me? To uh, Money Penny, that's your line. <laughs> Um, driving along. Did you catch the bouquet, Money Penny? <laughs> uh, driving along the road once again. Like Bond must be a shit driver because again he's getting beeped at by people behind him. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> like that was the third Masterson this sister. Is the third time that he's getting beeped at. Um, and then we get to the scene, the um, the very tragic situation. They pull over. Um, we get this lovely little exchange previously before we've had, we've, we've got all the time in the world. We get the gunshots driving past, uh, Bunty's back, Blofeld is back. Um, B and B and then Bond straight away. It's Blofeld gets into the car and, um, random bike man shows up. Uh, do we know who random bike man is? Is he just like Sean Campbell's brother? <laughs> <laughs> like, how did Bond not know that this could have been like another henchman? Anyway, uh, and we get the this was Felix. <laughs> did I miss the wedding? Yes. <laughs> but then we get the very famous exchange, and I've written this down, hopefully word for word. Uh, hopefully, I haven't stuffed up any word here. So sorry if I have. We get it's all right. It's quite all right, really. She's having a rest. We'll be getting on soon. There's no hurry, really. We have all the time in the world. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'll end there. I think you did that better than Lazenby. Colin. <laughs> There's so much to cover there, but I'm going to start with the very end. Um, does anybody else find it a little bit creepy when he's like, she's just having a rest now. Do you imagine Bond about like six months later and he's got her stuffed on the couch and he's like, Tracy, what would you like for dinner tonight? <laughs> oh, she's just resting again. It's okay. They have company over. Uh, little bit creepy but oh the wedding scene i mean this is one of the reasons why honor majesty service has always been one of my favorites and i actually have to wonder if i would have loved this movie as much if i saw it as one of the first because it kind of just goes against everything you think you know about bond and uh, i'll have a little bit more to say before we close on 
why I think this movie and this book uh, are so underrated. But you get a Bond wedding, and it's not unbelievable. You're not feeling like, well, this is just sort of tacked on. Like the love story is believable, the wedding's believable. This final moment, um, I don't know if I'd seen any movies at the point when I saw this that ended with one of the main characters just randomly being killed. And for a Bond movie to end on such a tragic note, I mean, it's it's so powerful. And Lazenby does play it pretty well. I, I don't think this is his best scene of the movie. Part of that is a dialogue issue, but love the scene. I just have to wonder, though, I mean... Diamonds are forever starts and he's going after Blofeld because he killed his wife. Bunt is the one that pulled the trigger. Why does she get off scot-free on this? Like, cause she's dead. He should be making her. Yeah. Well, she must be dead by the start. But, but I mean, we've had like four Blofelds in four movies. They could have recast Bunt just for one scene. Good point. Well, I, I, I think they didn't want to out of respect, but they recast Quarrel. Yeah. John Kitzmiller died. Yeah. Um, yeah, this scene, a few things I don't like about it, but it's mainly amazing. It's one of the best in the series. Um, the beeping is kind of funny. Uh, the, the third Masterson sister. <laughs> um, the one thing I don't like, I think, Colin, you summed up pretty perfectly what's great about it. I don't like the having a rest line. I think that's a bit cheesy and a bit like, eh, whatever. She's having a rest. Um, I like everything else, though. Um, and it's just so tragic, and it's probably the only sad moment in the entire series, all 23 films. Um, maybe there's a few others, but for the most part, I like Vespers in there as well, definitely. But for the most part, this is up there. Um, I don't like how Blofeld's driving and he's got a neck brace. I think that makes it a bit good kooky um i think bunt should have been the one shooting i don't think blofeld should have been there that's just my opinion and the neck brace is just ridiculous um i also don't like how it cuts into the main theme i was going to bring that up that really angered me i think it should have had all the time in the world through the entire credits i agree Uh, just takes you out of the moment instantly as soon as they cut into that and, um, yeah, James Bond will return in Diamonds Are Forever. I love Diamonds Are Forever, but you just have to wonder what could have been had they just done it properly. Um, so, yeah. And Lazenby, I don't think Sean Connery could have done this, but I don't think Lazenby pulled it off overly well. But Connery would have been like, yes, she's just having a rush. <laughs> like, um but Lazenby does a fine job, especially for a first-time actor. It could have been better, but it's it's pretty perfect. That's Craig would have jumped out and sprinted after it, caught up to uh, Blunt and ripped the <laughs> head off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up the music because I wrote that down. I it it is so just even though many times you see that scene, it's it's just so tragic. It's so sad, and um. It, it does kind of get ruined by then you have the credits come up and then straight away we're like, it's kind of like, well, Bond's wife just died. He'll be back to kill everyone. He's a man of revenge, better than Spectre. He'll be back. Like, he's got a powerful weapon. Like cutting into something ridiculous after that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. That's the only gripe I have with it. But it- Can you imagine how great 
this ending would have played if they just cut to all the time in the world at that moment. Yeah. yeah. It just, you know. And maybe like still photographs of him and Tracy through their time while the credits are playing. It's cheesy, but it would be great. <laughs> yeah, him feeding her a strawberry. Um, <laughs> eating chicken. Her, him burning the chicken and her in the background going, oh, James. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, this scene is sad for two two reasons. One, the death of Tracy, and two, the last time we'll see Lazen be his bond! <laughs> Thank you very much, hippie guru, whatever your name is. Yeah. You bastard! I hope you're dead right now. You... I honestly hope he's not alive. Oh, but, um... I mean, it's a scene that... Why didn't the cop go after them? Well, I... He was obviously chasing Blofeld in the first place. Why did he stop? But that's it, like, random... Like, the the Portuguese police are the worst in the world. Like, they're scarier than the Miami police, apparently. Like, because they don't do their job. Like, oh, shit, there's a guy we're going to catch, but let's just check on this person. Like, why isn't he calling for backup? He's just looking, and he's just like, oh, yeah. Like, he doesn't say anything. Like, are you okay, sir? What happened? Oh, she got shot. Oh, quick, back up, back up. She got, we're going to murder on the loose. Oh, but all his, all his things have been um, expunged from the record. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But, but anyway, we, I, um, we can't pick it apart. No, we, I feel bad picking I, it apart. I wanted, to, I wanted to really quickly yeah. comment just on the whole Bond series at this point, at least from Ian Fleming's book's perspective, because... A lot of people always who don't really watch Bond movies, they they have that idea. And I hear people say this all the time. It's like Bond is just a womanizer and he treats women like objects and stuff like that. And he doesn't care about them. One thing that the Daniel Craig movies have really gotten right is explaining that because they had Vesper and the Casino Royale story as context. And these movies do miss that. Um, I think that's the one area where this would have worked better if we had had Casino Royale because... What most people don't understand is Bond just treating women as objects and being a bit of a womanizer. That came after Vesper because in the books, he was really like they they touch on Dan Craig movies, his lack of trust because of how she betrayed him and everything and how he can't really figure out his feelings between, well, he loved this girl, but she also betrayed him. He couldn't quite, you know, reconcile that. So to come from Casino Royale and then go through all the other books and other stories where Bond is a womanizer there's a reason behind it. There's a reason his lack of trust for women because of Vesper. And then to climax with Tracy here and everything, I mean, it's such a great story. And there's so much of James Bond as a character that we missed out on that, which we did get an even more interesting tragic climax in You Only Live Twice. But uh, I've always wanted people to be able to see Bond, you know, from beginning to end. And we don't really have that, but if you look at Casino Royale and then you imagine Automatic Secret Service after that, you understand Bond so much better as a character. It's more complex than just a guy who sleeps with a bunch of women. I guess, too, that with the new Craig franchise, however you look at it, you know, we exactly how you explained it, Colin, will we have a, not necessarily a remake of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but a, a similar situation where... You know, he gets married again or he lets his guard down and does this again to really make him even more, uh, you know, distrusting and <laughs> moving forward even more. Because I could imagine if we had had Casino Royale up to this point in a, in a proper film, not a spoof, that, um, you know, he'd be quite pissed off at this point. Oh, Vespa, Tracy, fuck the world! Um, yeah, it's a shame they didn't continue on with that continuity. So, like, next we've got Plenty O'Toole and um, Tiffany Case. 
Domino, I mean, Solitaire, Rosie Carver, and, like, it really doesn't continue on after that, um, which is a shame. But maybe uh, perhaps it's a good thing we never saw Lazenby back again and they just kept this one film to this film and they never continued on, I'm not sure. Um, what could have been the what-if scenario? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hashtag download. Jokes that only listeners of Survivor Oz know. <laughs> yes. Um, and what we see, we see him visit the graves in, for your eyes only that he yeah. visits the grave. <laughs> Appropriately, well, Blofeld also right there. Again, like that's part of the where these two stories start tie together. I had read this in the trivia online, but I forgot about it from the book. So I went and I dug out my book before we recorded this. And I can, like, within the first one or two chapters, Bond is visiting Vesper's grave. They mention him going to Vesper's grave at the beginning of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the book. So Ian Fleming always had this great idea of tying those two characters together. And I think that works so well. I love the fact here that um, on the Wikipedia page, they're trying to um, tie in the fact that Bond was married. Because, again, it you know, it's often gelled over a lot. But um, it's got here, subsequent films reference the fact that Bond was previously married. Um they say, The Spy Who Loved Me, mm-hmm. um, For Your Eyes Only, obviously, uh, Licence to Kill, Goldeneye. That's a very... I don't remember Goldeneye. Well, it says here, Alec Trevelyan tells Bond, I might as well ask you if all those vodka martinis ever silence the screens of all the men you've killed or if you find forgiveness in the arms of all those willing women for all the dead ones you failed to protect. That's a very loose <laughs> connection there. Yeah. Um, and the world is not enough. to say, too. After Bond meets Electric King, they talk about her father's death, and she asks Bond if he has ever lost a loved one. Bond hesitates, then changes the subject without answering. Oh, that's what I first thought when he said that. Uh, <laughs> wow. Are these written by the same people who write Survivor Wiki? Um, anyway, um, so just, I guess, before we get into our final bits and final thoughts... Um, actually, no, we'll get into our final thoughts now, because then we'll get into other bits, because I feel this will tie it in. Um, as I kind of said at the top... I, I find this film just... It's it's better every time you watch it. It's such a good movie. Um, you know, I, I feel maybe out of the three of this, I've found less flaws, which is fine. We all have our different ways of looking at these films. Um, but, and look, as much as we sort of talk up the cult of Lazenby, I mean, I love George Lazenby. When it comes to ranking our Bonds, I'm probably going to piss a few people off where I put Lazenby and who I put him ahead of. Um, I mean, one thing that I will say is that we've, we criticise a little bit of the, the Daniel Craig films is that they're too serious and they're not as, you know, campy and fun. I mean, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is obviously a, a serious film and a real sort of change of direction from, you know, You Only Live Twice and Thunderball and, and Goldfinger that we've had sort of a hark back to From Russia with Love. But I think the difference in a serious Bond film like this one is that Lazenby still is... I think charismatic and as much as you two don't think he can pull off a one-liner, I think he has his moments. Um, yeah, this and, never happened to the other fellow. He pulls that off perfectly. Yeah, whereas, like, I mean, comparing it to, say, a Daniel Craig era one, and I know we're jumping ahead a lot here, I don't think there's as much of a playfulness to Craig as there was to, to Lazy Me. And again, different eras. We'll get to that. But um, this film is just it is a, a brilliant, brilliant film. This is... Like we talked about from Russia with Love being the peak of uh, artistic James Bond. That is on every level uh, with Terrence Young and Peter Hunt's editing and John Barry's score. Everything combined just made it a perfect movie. I think this is probably the next closest. And it's so impressive that you have 
a first-time actor who did as well as he did, he gets way more criticism than he should because he had no experience. He'd done commercials where he probably didn't even speak in them. That's a lot to take on the most iconic role anybody had ever had in movies at that point. And Peter Hunt, who'd never directed before, I mean, he was an editor. He did maybe some second unit stuff. And he's directing movies for the first time. And there are so many creative moments that Peter Hunt brings to this movie. It's such a powerful story, really, when you get down to it. And the fact that they were able to play this seriously, I can imagine that it did throw some people off, even though this is closer to From Russia With Love, which is the beloved Bond movie, coming off of the goofy, over-the-top, you-only-look-twice cartoon, and then this. It must have been shocking for a lot of people, but taking this movie for what it is, I mean, it's, it's sad that it wasn't a bigger hit because I feel like the 70s as a decade would have been completely different if On a Majesty Secret Service had been uh, more well-received. Uh, this is kind of the return to realistic Bond, and it didn't hold after that. So it's, it's unfortunate where the series went after this, but this movie stands on its own, I think, as the greatest Bond movie of all time. Yeah, I think, and as you, been, um, you mentioned, Ben, it combines comedy with seriousness so well that maybe hasn't been matched since... Uh, Maybe From Russia with Love does a good job with that. And it has the perfect mix. It has action. It has an ally. Like, it doesn't have Felix, but it's got a great ally. It's got a great girl, a great villain, great henchman in Irma Bunt, who sadly we won't see again. Um, there's just so much good in here. There's a few flaws, but compared to what we were talking about in Thunderball and you only I will defend Lazenby to the grave. Uh, we, I don't think we talked about him enough during this one, but we will have more episodes in the future talking about it, I'm sure. Um, I think he does a great job. Wish we saw him again, but maybe it's a good thing we didn't. Uh, just this one-hit wonder. And um, I don't think it's my favourite one of all time. There's some problems with it, but there's so much great here. It's just a classic one. It is going to be interesting when we get to our rankings for sure, which we'll get to in just a moment. Just a couple of things before we um, get to our, our counts and that. Um, in terms of box office uh, unadjusted, only $22 million, uh, $22,774. So um, lost about half nearly of what on her magic... Uh, <laughs> that's this movie, Ben. Uh, you Only Live Twice... Made that made about uh, twenty million more uh, adjusted for inflation. Um, it sits in at twentieth. Uh, uh, that's twenty second, by the way, for twenty two million. So yeah, twentieth adjusted one hundred and thirty million two hundred thirty one thousand six hundred. So it actually sits below Never Say Never Again when you adjust it, and just above A View to a Kill. Um, so only A View to a Kill, Living Daylights, Man with a Golden Gun, and License to Kill are below it in terms of the adjusted ones. So not exactly a uh, box office smash, sadly yeah, enough. Definitely uh, lost money but, if you only lived twice. But like, if, if you're looking at a comparison, I mean, it's not as big as it was, but $130 million this year, like that's, that's more than The Kingsman made, you know? That's uh, pretty close to what Ant-Man has made, so uh, around what Mad Max has made. So it's still, I think, a pretty big hit. But yeah, it's not the giant that it was during Goldfinger Thunderball. About $130 million more than Fantastic Four reboot has made. <laughs> anyway, uh, our dear friend Peter Travers. Hello, Peter, over at Rolling Stone. Um, he has this at number three. Yeah. Uh, so he has it below uh, From Russia With Love and ahead 
of Casino Royale. Um, and I temporarily take back everything bad that I said about Peter Chavez off air before we started this. Um, yeah, and we all should also mention too that um, 007 magazine uh, ranked this as the greatest Bond of all time uh, in September 2012. I read a couple of other lists um, during before fil- uh, before filming before recording this, and um, it was always <laughs> implanted in the top ten on each of the lists as well. So um, we'll stick with our Peter Travers list for some reason. That's our continuity with this one. Um, I'll never know. Ulterior motive. <laughs> because it's the only one where there's a good movie in number 10. All right, let's, um, <laughs> let's uh, hit a bit of this. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. This is where we always... Uh, I know, right? It's great. Um, now, I am confident that... I have gotten closer to the kill count than any other time of this. Can I just well, say that? It's not going to be well, hard to beat. Ultra long. Well, we'll see. Uh, who's going to go? Am I going first here, or do we trust Noah to go? Who's going first? Noah, you can go first. You go first, because you're first, plus I don't think you've got the right, because I am the guy in the tree. Right. Okay, then. Um, I... I suppose it's a bit confusing sometimes. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, haven't written down the exact kills, but um, I think we could probably all agree with two Bonds, James Bonds. Yeah. Yep. yep. The, the second one's kind of deceptive, though, because when he's calling Draco at the end, he's like, this is Bond, James Bond. Like, yeah. it wasn't really the same as the others, but it did happen. And that's the first time I've ever had two. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Martini's one, do we count the... We, we went over yeah, this argument after the last film, didn't we, where we said it doesn't necessarily have to be by Bond, but we did have the line, Vodka Martini Shake Not Stirred, so... I've got one. Yep, right. Um, kisses, Intimate Moments, I have a three. Yep. Yep, all right, yep. I'm, I'm doing good here so far. Um, <laughs> Here's the big one. I have seven kills. I have six. Oh, damn it! <laughs> I have nine. <laughs> nine?! <laughs> did you write down I, what they were from this time, Noah? Yeah, I did count them. Tell okay, us. No, I have, I, I have eight, sorry. Okay. All right, I've got two in the pre-titles. I counted okay, them as kills. Two? Hold on. I had one. We see him basically drown them, but the last we see of them, they're still breathing, and he covers one with a canoe, and the other one he traps in a net. I don't think that counts as dead. I think they're deaths. I think that it's implied that they... I think there was the one... I had one pre-title, and I can't remember which one it was, but I think one was definitely dead, and one I was like, oh, okay, maybe he's not dead. But how is he dead? He threw a guy into a net, and the other one, he threw a canoe on top of him, but he was still inside the canoe. Like, there's no reason to believe they died from those when they didn't die from being drowned in the water. I don't know. I think it's implied that they're dead. I love how we're arguing. Like, Colin's arguing none. I'm arguing, well, one of them died. And I was like, well, they both died. I don't know how either of those things are kills. Like, he, he throws a canoe on top because of a he guy. Not even, he, he trapped That's He's trapped. The guy throws it off a second later. The trap, trap, kill, kill count. Um. <laughs> All right, well, we'll revisit that one. Who else have you got there, Noah? I've got two at the ski chase. Yes. Yes. I've got two one at the bells. Off the cliff, right? Two at the bells. Yeah. yeah. Two at the bells. bells. I mean, I would assume yeah, in... they were knocked out. I don't think. Oh, they hang on. No, the bells, they weren't dead, weren't they? Because weren't di- when the Blowfield that came in, weren't they awake then? Like, doesn't Blowfield yeah. come in and they wake yeah, up? Yeah, back. That's one of those scenes I was talking about where 
you think they're dead, and then all of a sudden he comes through, and there they are. Because I remember that one, and well, I was. I've got to... one kill for this film, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and two at the climax. Yeah, I got. Two. I got three at the climax. There's three what times that he fires his gun, and it shows a person taking a bullet. Actually, I would probably have three too, because again, I didn't write the individual. I think the only difference that Colin and I have is that I marked somebody dying pre-title. And all the other yeah. ones that Colin has obviously got, I've gotten too. So I'm taking that as a win for me. Well, then no. <laughs> but if then you've got an extra one because then we're only at five. Um, no. well, okay, from memory, again, I don't necessarily... I, I need to do this. I, I know I had two from the ski chase. Um, three... I reckon I had three at the end. No, there were three at the end. Um, I've got the guy and the random one at the beginning. I don't know where I've gotten my seventh from, though. So, so where Mine are your six? Are Go, Colin. The ski your chase, he has the one he throws off the cliff. The second one he tries choking with the ski. Then there's the three in the Peace Gloria raid that he shoots. And I can visualize the kills right now, and I'd screenshot them if I had the time. But I'm going to have to do that next time. But <laughs> yes. Next, I, <laughs> you're, you're I, I definitely counted three times that he fired his gun, and it cut to a person taking the bullet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was surprising, because... I thought going into that scene, oh, this is going to be like Bond's killing rampage, like in Thunderball, but it's really only three times. Yeah, because it's kind of a bit deceptive at the beginning there. We see all these people dying, and you, at first I'm like, hang on a minute, which one of these ones is Bond? But then you realize, oh no, Bond's going to be in a different color, so we know who Bond is. Um, I was worried when you guys were talking about the car chase, where you're like, the car flipped over, and I was going to argue, I'm like, you know, Tracy was one doing the driving there, right? Tracy, Tracy could probably kill more people in this than Bond did. Hmm. All right, so so you've got six. Noah has s- nine. Well, eight, but I still think the pre-titles. All right, well, <laughs> God, here we go. And being trapped under a canoe will cause them to suffocate, maybe. Yeah, but he choked. He was half dead. He only just got up to get to him, and then that was the final finishing blow. Well, it's not a blow. He didn't even take the hit. It just it went on top of him. There's there's not even a clarified moment where the canoe even hits him. Oh god, this is the epitome of geekness. He was dead. He wasn't dead. It's a movie. Ah, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> look, I am again going to be Switzerland here and be neutral. Um, well, you had one. So which one did you think died? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> This is the man with a journalism degree who doesn't take notes. <laughs> I thought you were learning shorthand. Hey, don't bring up that S word. Um, oh. Which one died? The canoe one or the other one? Neither. You don't kill a man by throwing a net over him or throwing him in a canoe. He already drowned him and that was his last final hurrah. This never he happened on the other episode. He fought him for another two and a half minutes. I mean, he wasn't that dead from drowning. I don't think the canoe's going to finish him off. All right. I think, okay. So, I think we've all come to agree to the deaths later in the film. We're just yeah. debating the first one. So, take away the two. So, we've got what? what f- uh, we've got six in the whole movie without the deaths yeah. at the beginning. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So, maybe then we do need to go on the middle ground here that... Colin's debating there's none. Noah's debating there's two. Middle ground is one. Seven. I'm correct. Yeah. Middle ground, the only guy who has no argument to make is the one who's right. <laughs> I think the water guy at least w- died. That was his last Yeah, yep, I agree. I agree. Yep, 100%. Noah's right. <laughs> oh. 
I am going to bring this back in every future movie. Every time Bond blinks at a man, it's gonna be like, that's the death blow right there. I know we see him breathing, hey. but he probably last breath right hey. there. But by that logic, we shouldn't count the three blind mice because he didn't technically knock them off the cliff. Well, I said that, but no one listened to me. But we knew they died at least. <laughs> he didn't knock them off a cliff and they fell into a net. I mean, there's a difference. They could have been badly burnt. <laughs> 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 so what are we going with? I don't know what to do here. Uh, all right, so your vote is six. No, is what? What's your vote? Eight. Eight. I want to vote for seven. Tell me how both of them die. <laughs> all right, okay. We've got to go for the average here. All right. So hang on. I think this is the fairest way. So if we add six plus seven plus eight, uh, if I can hit the right button, um, that, that doesn't want to work. God damn it! Numlock went off. <laughs> Divide by three. It's seven. <laughs> I'm you right. You need to wrong. do a calculator to figure out. The <laughs> figure out. I have a journalism <laughs> degree, not a math. <laughs> I have a journalism degree, not a math degree. Right. How about we say this? We'll we'll do what we did for I think Thunderbolt. We'll say seven, and then if people are listening and they've watched it, um, they can write in if they've got a better explanation for it. All right. Oh my god, I was right. Uh, <laughs> Anybody out there has died from canoe, let us know. <laughs> Any relatives, we're very sorry that they died, but is it an actual thing? Can they die from a canoe? Um, <laughs> well, right. Maybe they've been half drowned beforehand. <laughs> he could have had a brain injury from a previous fight. <laughs> um, so, okay, so total, all right, so if we go in with seven, so at to this point, after six films, uh, and to end the 60s as well, um, 83 kills, um, 19 intimate encounters, five vodka martinis, and four Bonds, James Bonds. I want to uh, call this movie as where the cliches begin, because... I think yeah. we we're all surprised at how few of the martinis in James Bond, uh, James Bond, James, um, but John James Bonds there were up until this. Like it was very sporadic, and I think the fact that they needed, they felt like they needed to include those things to tie it into the previous movies. I think that would make it kind of interesting if we have the counts continuing from this point on. That it all sort of started just with let's remind people this is still James Bond. I think a big part of that had to do with uh, Peter Hunt directing as well because he had been with it mm -hmm. since the beginning and he knew what made a James Bond film. And, mm -hmm. of course, we're, which we'll mention very shortly when we wrap this up, um, we'll be doing a special episode just on the 60s um, and we'll be doing that for each decade. Um, but we'll also try and tally a separate decade count. So at the end, not only will we have a total of... Um, Bonds, maybe even we'll also have a separate one per Bond as well. So we'll have maybe a, a total count, what film had the most. Well, we're what, done, Lazenby. What film had the least, uh, what Bond had the most, had the least, and what decade. So we'll keep a tally of those. Um, now we move in to our uh, Hall of Fame, where we pick, of course, uh, three scenes to go in the Bond scene Hall of Fame. I think we're all very much in agreement of one. That, of course, is the end scene. We would all agree that that will go in there, yes? The death of Tracy. Death yeah. of Tracy, that is a lock. Um, now, the second one, I think we kind of are all there for the proposal, I love you moment. Yeah. I would agree if we're all in agreement on that. Uh, can we talk about the options first? 
Um, well, my other ones, <laughs> I would honestly put, this never happened to the other fellow. Like, well, I, I was going to put that up. I think everyone knows that line. It's well, so iconic. I think everybody knows that line, but I think the scene, the proposal scene, just for the fact that we, we never will have anything like that in a Bond movie again, and it was done so well, I would vote for that. And my other choice would be the ski chase. Cause... Well, I think we'd all agree with the ski chase, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. I would put that up. No, you would too, surely. The first ski chase we're talking about? Yeah, the first yeah. one, the second one. The second one's never as good as the first. Right, yeah. so, okay, so basically then... We um, would, I'd love to have the final battle, but I guess the ski chase is better than that. And I guess yeah, it's tough, And as we kind of mentioned, didn't we, in um, Yoni Littling, we're going to probably have a lot of these films where we're going to have the final battle as included. Um, so really our three options here are what? Final, battle, proposal, and this never happened to the other fellow. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I would say that the the pre-title scene and the proposal are the serious ones in there. But in my mind, the proposal totally takes that. Mm, yeah. I'm happy with that. We'll go with proposal. I still think this never had another fellow should be in there, but I'm happy with the proposal because it is so iconic. Well, again, if people at home are listening and they think that that should be, <laughs> we can do on our, on our decade end special, we can do a hall of fame lines from each movie or something. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Um, all right, so that really brings us now to our rankings. Um, our we've ranked five. This is our sixth one, and um, I'm not even going to bother debate. I'm putting this at number one right now. Mm. Me too. <laughs> Big surprise. It. All right, so we're both at number one now. Noah, what are you putting it at? I still don't know because <laughs> it's so great, but I don't know if it's my number one. But I've never held From Russia With Love at as high as regard as I have during these rankings, but it's been at my number one since week two. Um, obviously, there's a lot of films to go, and I still cannot tell you what my number one will be by the end of this. But what the hell, it's Lazenby. Let's put it at number one, being Yay. From Russia With Love. But it's close, it's yes. close. And it's a hesitant number one, but I'm going to put it, it's such a great film. It's the first time since From Russia With Love we've all put it at um, the same number. So, uh, okay, so currently um, our rankings after six films, uh, mine obviously are On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Goldfinger from Russia with Love, You Only Live Twice, Dr. No and Thunderball. Noah, you've got On Her Majesty's Secret Service from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Dr. No, You Only Live Twice and Thunderball. And Colin, you have On Her Majesty's Secret Service from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, Dr. No and You Only Live Twice at the end. So, uh, please email us in if you're listening at home to tell us your rankings after six films. We would love to All know. over the shop now. Yes, indeed. Uh, that's it for the 60s. That's it for Lesson V. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about him again at some point. Uh, into the 70s we go. Uh, obviously, as I said, our next episode will be a special 60s retrospective. But um, I guess sort of... That kind of sells itself, really, what we'll be talking about that one. Let's forward look to uh, Diamonds Are Forever. I'm sure we'll um, touch on this a little bit, of course, in the next episode. But uh, I, for one, am a fan of Diamonds Are Forever. Again, I think I mentioned this in You Only Live Twice. It's probably the um, Connery film I've seen the most. Um, I love the fact that they're in Vegas. I think it's a bit of fun. And it, I don't know, I, I think it gets a bit of a bad rap, Diamonds Are Forever, and I actually quite like it. So we'll be. I'm looking forward to chatting about it and getting to watch it again. I don't really think it gets that bad of a rap. I think it kind of earned it in some ways. I will say it's a movie that if you're watching outside of the continuity, it is much more enjoyable. That's how I originally saw the movie. The first time I saw it, I loved it. And then as I started watching more Bond movies, it just didn't hold up to me. 
climax doesn't work. I really don't think the Bond girls work in this. I think the villain's terrible. But as we said in the last one, I'm of the opinion that Sean Connery had more fun making this movie than he did You Only Live Twice. So it's not going to be the very bottom. And it's something that I think maybe rewatching it and talking the movie out, uh, I might hold it in a higher regard after this time. But going into it, not one of my favorites. Every Bond fan has that one guilty pleasure film that they just enjoy um, where it's not as highly regarded. Like, that's not Goldfinger from Russia with Love. I mean, Bed, I'm not sure if yours is the D word. It might be. Um, <laughs> and uh, Gink. Collar. It's probably something I'm not sure. We'll get, we'll get to it. But every Bond fan has one. And for me, it's absolutely Diamonds Are Forever. Um it's just so much fun. If you don't take it seriously, it's just so good. Um, it's probably one of my most watched ones, if not the most watched one. I, I can never be bored with this. Like, if I just want to watch one to enjoy, I'll just chuck that one. It's really can't. I've been waiting since the beginning to talk about this one, and there might be a bit of debate here because I'll be defending this like I defended Lazenby. I think it's so good. I can't wait for it. All right. Well, we will bring that to you after our 60s retrospective special. Um, as always, you can email us, 007 at hotmail.com. I'll check that like once every three months. Um, I noticed that uh, on one of our other spin-off shows, Euros Vision, we had an email. Uh, <laughs> Check that for the first time since May the other day. And, um, well, okay, I did well with that. Um, Facebook is probably the better option if you want to contact us. Um, or Twitter, of course. And um, on random forums, apparently. Um, hello to everybody who are listening to us on uh, various Bond forums or Reddit. Um, or even, James, like, George Lazby, if you are listening, <laughs> we know you've edited this. You probably didn't really pay too much attention to it but um, look send us in a message send us in something and um, we'll see you in Goulburn at Spyfest apparently so <laughs> yes uh, looking forward to it thank you everybody for uh, your company um, let's uh, close this out uh, by saying my name is Ben and I'm glad that we have uh, been able to branch off in this podcast and my name's Colin, and I have to quote my favorite Bond song that never gets the love. Do you know how Christmas trees are grown? They need sunshines and raindrops, friendship and kindness, and most of all, they need love. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Noah, and it's all right. I'll be back. I'm just having a rest. <laughs> <laughs> and good night, George Lazenby. This never happened to the other fellow. Step out the way. Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. Think of something more sociable to do. Is anything the matter? Just a slight stiffness coming on. Do you feel the air sickness? The hay fever? Or the sickness caused by the oysters? Or inability to eat meat? Money, Penny? What will I do without you? My problem is that you never do anything with me. What would I do without you, Miss Money, Penny? Just for now. You are funny pretending not to like girls. Well, I don't usually, but you're not usual. But I think you do not like girls, Hilly. Hilly, you old devil. Unusually small from them fellas polychlorus. I wasn't aware that your expertise included lepidoptery. They want me to send a description of myself. Tactfully adjusted to favor me. Yes. Never mind that. Go and get the brandy. Huh? Every step 
I'll be glad to get my feet on the ground. Not ground. Eyes. What killed the dinosaurs? Guys, I with the kill. Miss Moneypenny, what did you do without me? Of course, I know what he's allergic to. I have been training my own special angels of death. Those girls. Those girls. Darling, you're in trouble. What is it? There's people out there. Nothing less. Go out to your airport. She's making my passengers sick. They've had enough of your nonsense. So have I. What about a lift to the top? But surely there's a, there's a restaurant, a sports club out there. I've seen them advertised. Four o'clock town. Since when? I've seen them advertised, I tell you. All oh, right, but I, I still haven't get to the top. What about all my clubber? My belongings, please? But they're mine, damn it! The authorities will hear about this. Have all the time in the world. Weddings. 007 never had any respect for government property. Merry Christmas, 007. Thank you, Tracy. You've got sharp eyes and beautiful earlobes. Respectable baronets from the College of Heralds do not seduce female patients in clinics. Yes, but what's a gyne genealogist? Probably word for an old people's doctor. Ah. He had lots of guts. Well, anyway, don't forget, if there's anything you ever need... Thank you, Q, but this time I've got the gadgets. I know how to use them. It's all right. It's quite all right, really. She's having a rest. We'll be going on soon. There's no hurry, you see. We have all the time in the world. Fancy meeting you here for all I...